that'd be lying to say that, that things have, have moved smoothly since my injury. There's been a bit of a disconnect, I think, from, from the organization a bit and, and myself. And right now, for me, I think the most important thing is just trying to get healthy and figure out a way to be available to play hockey next year, you know, wherever that might be. Caulfield managed to get to Tatar. He gave it away. Dry, subtle, stretch fast. McDavid, the breakaway to win it. Rishot score! And Edmonton wins 4-3 in overtime. The fadeaway. And there it is. History. Russell Westbrook has just surpassed Oscar Robertson. It lasted 47 years. And now Russell Westbrook stands there all alone. Well, the North Division is all locked and organized, Ziggy. All that's left is figuring out who slots where, three and four. But the Montreal Canadiens with that, <laughs> I just love that really climactic finish, eh? When you're, when you're tied at the end of regulation, it gets you the point to get into the playoffs and then you got to play overtime. Are you, uh, are, where are you with the Canadians? Because I'm... You love them. I feel like I feel they're, like I'm the only think, one that I think you think they're great. Well, I don't think they're great. I just think oh, that think if, if I I they're more of a playoff team than people realize. They think it's going to be just an easy out and I, I don't think it's going to it's just not going to be that simple. We know what the Leafs, we don't well, we know what the Leafs are. Do we know what they're going to look like? We have no idea what is the there, final is there is there such thing. Like. Is there a such thing as an easy out? I mean, most I, most seasons now, Ziggy, in this league, and it doesn't matter if it was the one eight two seven three six four five format or if it was division winner against a wild card and the twos and threes in each division playing as it's been more recently. It's it's almost impossible for their for for us to pull up an easy out. I, I think the Leafs are going to beat the Montreal Canadiens if they play them. I also think they're going to beat the Winnipeg Jets if they play them. And I think that we should expect the Leafs to beat either opponent. Doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't guarantee that it's going to happen. There will be hellfire and brimstone if they don't. But whether it's in four games or six games or seven games, the point is they got to get it done. I'm more comfortable with the Leafs playing the Jets in the first round than I am the Canadians. Do I think the Jets, do I think the Canadians are better than the Jets? No. It's just the way they they line up against the Leafs. They'll be more predictable. I can tell you exactly how they're going to play. You know what they are. You know what they have in net. I just, with the Montreal Canadiens, if... They pull the Leafs into the trenches to say, I, I don't know what can happen. I, I, I really don't know. I, I don't know what's happening in net. I don't know if Price is coming back, what, what he's going to look like. I just feel with this Jets team, it's not because they've lost nine of the last 10 games. And I know Hellbuck's in net for them, and he's the best in the league. I would just, I'd have a better feeling just watching them play during the season. I know what Montreal wants to do to beat the Leafs, and that's that's the concern. Are they a favorite? Are, do I think the Leafs are going to win? Yes. I just don't believe it's going to be as easy 
as, you know, throwing your sticks on the ice. Just the fact that Montreal can't score their goaltending situations up in the air. They just have, they have a good back end. They're big. And if they can play physical against the Leafs throughout a full game, that's been the issue, right? They've done, you see it in a lot of the starts of the games they play against each other, but if they can continue to do it through and sustain that, it's, it's not going to be an easy out for the Leafs. Well, I think the most obvious comment is get the lead, right? Get the lead on Montreal. And by the way, we got the text line lighting up right now to 590-590, a 289 number. Ziggy's drunk, Habs are crap. Yeah. What's in your tea this morning? Yeah, <laughs> it's great tea. Yeah. I just, I just, I keep, I keep everything I hear and, and look up and people talk about trying to get ahead and, and break down the series. I, they're talking like it's a, it's four games and it's over. Like if it goes six games, are you going to be surprised? No, I'm not, I'm not going to be. So then it's not an, so you're, so you're, so then you think the same thing then it's not going to be a sweep easy series. I just, I'm not saying the Canadians are good and they're going to win the series. I just, it's not going to be as an easy, an easy out as you think. We don't know what the Canadians are going to look like. Like we don't know, like Gallagher, Gallagher comes back. That's a different team. Price is in net and Gallagher plays. It's a different team than you've seen and you've watched. Yeah, okay, we're talking about, and I know that they have two different backgrounds and all that, but we have discussed so much about Frederick Anderson not getting a lot of game action. What, he hadn't played in the NHL since March 19th. He's played a game and a half in the AHL. Jack Campbell's a starting goaltender, but how quickly would you go to Freddie? Under normal circumstances, if the Leafs didn't have a backup like Jack, if this was a couple of of years ago and we were just waiting with bated breath for Freddie to get back, it's the same situation in Montreal. They trust Jake Allen, but if Carey Price is automatically slotted back into the starting goaltender's role, Ziggy, it's not like he's been in in-game competition very much in the last month, month and a half, right? Like, can we just trust that he's going to step on the ice and lock it in? He's been hugely inconsistent this year. And he's been inconsistent for the last few seasons. There have been pockets of great play, the old Carey Price. But it's, I'm not Carey Price, I think it's it's as much to do with, with the reputation that he has developed and earned over the last decade plus. But this is not the goaltender who was winning Olympic gold medals back in the earlier part of the decade. Yeah, well, I'm not expecting, I'm not expecting guys to come back and I'm not I, the thing about a goaltender coming back. Are you expecting Price and Anderson at this point after not playing to carry them through the playoffs? No. And that's why I've said it's going to be at least a two man show. You might even see Riddick in that you, if you're the Leafs um, seeing Primo in for the Canadians, I I, I don't see. Okay, what's don't the see the, what's the circumstance? I don't when see Rick, the, I don't see the young kid coming in playing, but I, I it's gonna be it's gonna be a two man show for both of them. Whoever goes on, it's gonna be a two man show. But what's the circumstance that Riddich would play? You're gonna have Campbell. Well, you're gonna have just Campbell and Anderson have very average games. It's gonna be into the second round, if God. not the conference finals. You're gonna you're you're gonna you can see you can see all three of them. Like I, I'm, and I'd be confident with Riddick in that. I, I, I really, I don't have an issue. I know the last time he played, it wasn't pretty, but 
I'm okay with Riddick in that for one game to steal a game or, you know, go on the road and play two games. I'm, I'm okay. And that's, that's why you, you get a guy like Riddick, right? You have Campbell. He's done more than well as a backup. You have Anderson hasn't been in net. Don't know what's going on with his injury. He's had a such, he's had a, a very average year. So there's going to be three goaltenders for the Leafs. If they go deep, I just, we don't know if can is Campbell still injured. We don't like, he could be playing through something still. That's the issue, right? We don't know. We know he played through an injury when, when Freddie went down, we know Campbell Campbell, we, they had to put Riddick in, right? Campbell had to come out of the net. So I'm, I know Campbell at this point, Campbell is starting for me. Like, I don't know where you're at with Freddie. If Freddie plays the next two games, does he start the playoffs for you? No, Campbell does. 17, okay, so, two and two is more than earned it, but Freddie's my backup. If he's healthy. Yeah. So Campbell's going to start. It doesn't go well. He gets another game. If that doesn't go well, Freddie goes in. They somehow make it through the first, second round and they both have very average games. And then they have another bad one. Would And say, or someone gets injured, like injuries could very, could happen in the playoffs. One of them can go down. They've battled injuries all year. You think just because the playoffs start, those injuries are going to go away. And that's kind of why I'm saying, don't be surprised if three guys, you see three guys in net for the Leafs, if they go deep. I'm just, I, I'm Campbell starting for me at this point. I'm just letting you know, even what I'm, I'm even at one game. If he starts the first game and lets in a couple soft goals and Anderson looks okay in these next two, if that's what we are thinking, right? We think he's going to play both. I, I could see Anderson going in the second game for sure. And that's kind of sad because Campbell is 17 and two. My thing is if I'm Campbell, I have to be a little worried if Freddie plays both of these because we don't even know when they're going to start the playoffs, right? Like we don't know. We don't know which day yeah, they're going to start still... on the 19th, the 20th. Yes. Yeah, so what, what are you going to say for Campbell? That, that means you're not going to play for 11 days, 12 days. I think it's a lot of time off. So I don't even see Freddie playing in both of them. He might get one and that's it. I, and I don't know, like if you're, if you're Sheldon Keefe, what are you kind of, what are you looking for out of Anderson? I'm just, it's, I'm not even, I'm not even concerned about winning the game. You just want him to look rebound control, playing the puck. You want like confidence level. That's what I'd be worried about. And I know Anderson got a, you know, some time in, in the minors and some of the goals he let in were okay. And that's more of him testing it out. Like I've seen guys go down in the minors. Like I, I, I spent most of my career in the minors. I've seen a lot of conditioning stints. I've played with guys that come down conditioning stints. Some guys just go through the motions. They play their one to three games and they want to get out of there. Some guys go down. They know they're playing one game. They play hard. I feel like Freddie was more feeling it out, played half a game, then played more, let in some goals, didn't see too concerned. That's that's what Freddie's was like. But I've seen, like, I've had Pekka, I've had Pekka Rene in Milwaukee. We absolutely, uh, I played one of my best games with the Rochester Americans, one of our best games of the year. 
and the guy like shuts us out and we lose one nothing in in overtime. Like I, I I've seen everything, right? So Freddie just kind of went down and he was testing his injury. He knows. He knows when playoffs comes. I'm telling you right now, he's going to be a lot better than people think if we see him in the playoffs, which I imagine we will. Texts are coming in. If the Leafs don't win in five, it's a disaster. That's from a 416 number. Rick and Mimico, 416 number. Hab's going to add some secondary scoring. Vladimir Putin. You see that? Nine Vlad, goals. nine goals. That, that must just be like they come out and they're like it's former play. Like, I didn't watch any of it. I don't know what happened. Like I just saw at the least at and least I'll, there's some footage of Vlad Putin putting the puck in the net. Unlike Kim Jong Il, who they used to claim could fire a round of eighteen, just eighteen <laughs> holes in one. Remember that? <laughs> oh gosh. No, yeah. The 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 Putin thing. It's just it's former players and. You know, politicians, and obviously you're trying to set up whoever's running your country. I don't know. I still can't. Every time I think of him playing hockey, it's skating around the ice, and he trips on the carpet. I just, I can't get, I, I can't get that visual. If you've got, if you've out. got a two on zero into an empty net, you, lo- I'm looking, him off. I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking him off. Like if I had a two on zero with just Justin Trudeau, is that what you're asking me? Do I look Trudeau off? Well, I wouldn't. Absolutely, I wouldn't be so worried about looking off Justin Trudeau. I oh, don't think serious? Justin. Are I don't think scared? Justin Trudeau's going to send the dark forces after you if you don't pass him off and and let him score the empty netter. If I'm in on a two on zero into an empty net with Vlad Putin, I'm dishing because <laughs> that's probably the only way I'm yeah. getting out of there with my life. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, I don't, it's, I find it funny when you see which players NHL players talk about him and who supports him, who doesn't. We all know what happened with Panarin this year and, and the rumors that he's spoken out against Putin and what, and what happens. Yeah. What happens if you look him off on a two on O so yeah, nine goals in a 13 goal win. Yeah. Good for him. His skating looks Looks pretty good. It's getting better. Apparently, he plays all the time. Oh, he's in great shape. The guy's a beast for his age. I he's, Gary he's not ba- a kid I hear, either. He's like late 60s, isn't he? I heard Gary Bettman plays all the time. I, I'm not comparing the two of them. Well, hold on. I just, Gary, Bettman, I just say, Gary Bettman straps on the blades and plays hockey a lot? Do you, I, think, do you think Gary see, Bettman... You're, see, you're surprised, right? Do you think Gary Bettman knew how to skate before he became NHL commissioner? Do you think he's taken up the game since becoming the commissioner, which he did almost 30 I years ago now? It's been a while, but if he just doesn't start playing because he's the commissioner. So I believe that he he used to he would play in a pickup league once in a while before. And then once he was commissioner and league started, to, you know, game started to form and he, he likes to play. Yeah, I, that's what I heard. He goes out and plays. I don't I don't I don't think it's a front. I don't think he's doing it for the optics. Um, yeah, I, I just, I heard he plays in some pickup game. I don't know. I mean, I've never seen him. I've never seen any video footage of it. That was just a rumor I had heard, but, um, <laughs> I'm definitely looking Gary off <laughs> in a, in a, a two on one. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> 
He might he'd be lucky to touch the It's a three on one and you're dropping the, you're dropping to Donald Fear the PA head. Oh yeah, uh, I'm dropping to my goaltender before I drop it. To Tom him. from Toronto on the text line to five ninety five ninety. Matthews is afraid of Weber because he's a cross checking psychopath. Is this what the text line's gonna be like through the entire Leafs Habs playoff series? Assuming of like, course that we get it. Why can't I say anything nice about Montreal? Like, are we that are are we is that where we're at? Leaf fans? Is that where like I, I I don't get it. Well, someone thinks you're drunk. I read that text already. Is Ziggy going to make just, a case for every team and then brag that he called it when any team beats the Leafs? For <laughs> Luke from Curtis. Oh, look at you putting on the heel guard. I just said the I just said start. I just said I'd prefer them to play the the Jets in the first. Like for me, I don't want Winnipeg to get going, and I don't want Hellebuck to get hot in the first round. Okay, but Ziggy, like, there's say, a like, reason say, to be scared of every team that they could play. There can only uh, play two teams in the first round, Winnipeg well, I'm or Montreal. Giving, I'm, but. I'm, I'm, giving you, I'm giving you what to look at. Obviously, Edmonton, I don't think it's very hard. Here's a list, of things, here's a list of things you could panic about. We should do that. I'm, we should come up with that tomorrow morning on the show. That's today's homework. Reasons to panic mm-hmm. against Montreal. Reasons to panic against Winnipeg. Edmonton, we don't have to worry about because they're a second Edmonton, round. They're, they're not until the second round if it happens. But yeah. they're also obvious. Mike Smith playing well, and then those two forwards they have, whose names I can't quite remember right now. Yeah, I'm not too worried about. I'm not too worried about Edmonton. That's out of the three of them, they're the least I'm worried about. If I had to pick in order, obviously it's going to be a second round matchup. It's just, I mean, you got to stop one player, two players, and then that's it. I mean, I, I really don't know. I don't know where else it would come from, right? For Edmonton, we talked about Nugent Hopkins, their third leading scorer in that team with 33 points. And as good as he is, I just, I, I don't know who else. I, I can't see anybody else on that team beating the Leafs in a second round matchup. But yeah, they got to get by. They got to get by the Canadians or, or Jets first. And then, you know, either meet one of those three in the second round. I just... I'd almost per, I'd prefer Winnipeg. I don't know if I don't know how crazy that is, but well, they've also lost nine of their last ten games, so so they look. That has nothing. That, I that know, has but they look. To they look it. pretty appealing. Nothing. Uh, Dave in Collingwood, morning guys. Sounds like some sheep vodka has been consumed this morning. If the Leafs use three goalies, they're not going deep. Also, just to stir the pot. Oh, here's Dave's. Dave loves the Blue Blanque Rouge. Just to stir the pot, if the North is as strong as the other divisions, why do all these Leafs fans think the fourth seed is garbage? <laughs> they just, it's just the Leaf fans. We don't, no one likes the Canadian. It's just like we love putting down Montreal. And <laughs> when, they're, when they're down, just keep kicking. I Phil from, Phil from Burford, whoever the Leafs play, hope to see it a quick series for the Leafs. My love. So we're back my with loves. my love. We're back with the morning commute. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm with, yeah, I, I like, yeah. I mean, who, who wouldn't want a quick four game series, five game series. I'm hearing a lot. If this goes six games, I'm disappointed as a Leafs fan. I don't I'm care. I, I, what I want, I want it to go six or less because I'd like them to get a bit of a breather before the second round. If you, if you remember, I mean, obviously they haven't played a ton of playoff series in the last decade and a half. But if you remember the runs that they had 
uh, not just in 93 and 94, but also the Pat Quinn teams around the turn of the century. I think they beat Philly and Pittsburgh each in six games in 99 on their way to losing to Buffalo in the Eastern Conference Final. But in 2000, 2001, 2002, they may have snuck a six-game series victory in there once, but they were all seven-game series. Like that bloodbath series with the Islanders in 02 went seven games. Then they beat the Senators in seven games, and then they lost to Carolina in six. But had they won, obviously would have had to go the full seven on the way to the cup final. Like there's just a ton of seven-game series, and you really don't get any chance to to lie low for a couple of days and bounce back. So my hope is is that they get into a bit of a routine and are able to eliminate opponents. I know it's asking a lot. It sounds like I'm looking way too far ahead, but it'd be nice to win a series in six or less. It eliminates some stress out of being a fan, and it also gives the guys a little bit of time to recalibrate before they play their next round opponent. Yeah, I and I like where the Leafs are at right now, and it it does matter. I know we talk about the Jets and losing games, and Paul Maurice says, you know what? I know where my team is at. I think it. I think you have to look at how they're playing, right, for the Leafs, and you have to give them some credit for locking up the division. I know you're gonna if like, if you look at the standings right now, you're gonna say, well, yeah, the Leafs won the division. They were supposed to win the division. They had the players to win it. I'm going to make the case against you guys because the North is not a strong division as the other. No, it's not an issue. No, the Leafs still had to go out there and and play the games and you know have some kind of consistency throughout the year because you don't win a division or a conference by just throwing your stick on the ice. And I'll keep saying that. You don't win it because you have a 40-goal score. You don't win it because you have a 102-point getter. Like, what are you thinking? If you're in Edmonton, you can't win the division. So I don't think it's as simple as saying, well, I have the best goal scorer. I have the, you know, I have a guy that's winning the league scoring title. I don't, it's not that simple. I like where the Leafs are at right now. They actually had to go out and, and earn the division win. And that says something about this team. And I think the hardest part for the Leafs is that they all know None of it matters at this point. With this group right now, it all comes down to the like. It all comes down to the postseason for them. It doesn't. If they could have gone undefeated this year, and it would have been okay, great. And the hard part for that as a team is that, and I I think I think Shelly Keith has mentioned this throughout the year, and it's a good point because. I've been in that situation where you're on good teams. I played on the Pittsburgh Penguins. We were expected to win every night. And it's like, I got with them in 08. I got there in 08, 09, the year after they went to the finals. That's hard when you have the expectation, when you're supposed to, like the Leafs are supposed to get to the final four this year. That's hard to go into training camp with that expectation and hold it. Cause you can't play the playoffs in the regular season. And the more you think about it, the worse your regular season is going to be. So from a mental standpoint, that says even more about this team, how they held off those expectations and they actually got better throughout the season. This is a different team in game 54 than it was in game one. And that's what I talk about you a lot. As a coach and as a team, 
you're you're you have one job to do and it's to get better every week. That's it. There's really nothing else. Like if I'm if I'm coaching a team, that's all you're concerned about. I'm trying to find some kind of chemistry in my lines. I'm trying to find shutdown pairings on the back end and I want to get better and the Leafs have done that this year. And going out in the playoffs, this is this is this is a massive test. Going against the Canadians is going to be a massive test. I I just I don't want to comp- compare it to Columbus because I think Columbus had a really good team last year, a really good playoff team. But if they if the Canadians can find some kind of game similar, you know, they know what beat the Leafs last year. Believe me, and they're going to try to mimic the same kind of system, same kind of game. Good news for the Leafs. Uh, you heard that Freddie Anderson was on the ice yesterday for practice. So was Nick Foligno and Zach Hyman and Riley Nash. And all of them had regular sweaters on. They didn't have the red non-contact jerseys on. So presumably all three, uh, plus Anderson, of course, getting closer to a return. The Blue Jays kick off a three-game series in Atlanta. So they're into a National League stadium. They'll play National League rules. The pitchers will hit no designated hitters. We'll tee that series up at 8.35 with former Blue Jays manager John Gibbons. The phone lines will be open at 7.30 for the full half hour of Kevin Barker. You want to bark at Barker? We'll open up the phone lines. The text line will be alive and well as well. We've got to get to Bob Baffert, the white-haired horsey trainer, and the story he's telling for how Medina Spirit, his horse that won the Kentucky Derby, tested positive for roids wait until you hear this story it's almost like it's a human concoction and Gord Stella coming up on the usage of Freddie Anderson this week and heading into the playoffs and the preferred Maple Leafs first round opponent is it Winnipeg or Montreal Thirty-two jobs in the NHL. You can run a run a team, be a GM. And we say, if you're in that club, right? If you're one of those thirty-two, it's pretty special. I wonder what Kevin Adams is thinking right now in Buffalo. Man, when it rains, it pours in that town. Jack Eichel. It's sounding like he wants out. We'll delve into that a little bit later on. Jam-packed show. John Gibbons, former Blue Jays manager, at eight thirty-five. Rick Nash is the special assistant to the general manager, Yarmo Kekalainen, in Columbus with the Blue Jackets. He's in the middle of exit interviews today, but has agreed to do the show in an open window he's got for about 15 minutes at 8.15. So we'll talk to him about John Tortorella and the fact that the organization is moving on from torts and where it goes from here. Kevin Barker. For the full half hour at 7.30 on the Blue Jays opening up a series in Atlanta tonight. Just the general state of the game. And we'll open up the phone lines and read some texts. Barking at Barker at 7.30. And here's our good buddy, the co-host of Leafs Nation pre and post with Nick Alberga here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Gord Stellick, is on the program. Good morning, sir. I mean, we're waking up after a day of good news for the Leafs. Freddie practiced. Nick Foligno 
Zach Hyman, Riley Nash, and none of them had the don't touch me red jerseys on. So it looks as though, and especially given the extra window here before the playoffs start, the Vancouver COVID situation, it looks as though everybody health-wise is trending in the right direction. Yeah, you know, I mean, you see Carter Brahegi in Florida. Malkin came back in Pittsburgh. You know, good news about uh, Gallagher, apparently, with the Montreal Canadiens as well. But on the Toronto side, you're right about that. You know, Scotty, I mean, game shape is the next step. But, but, but this is a real good sign. This is a real good sign that they're on the ice, first step. And the other kind of step above that, the fact that they're taking regular type of practice. So it's practices. So, so small steps in some ways and big steps for other guys. What do you see happening with Anderson now that he's, he's come back from his injury, played with the Marlies? Apparently he's feeling all right. Do you, do you play him in both here kind of to close the season out? What do you, what do you kind of do with, with Freddie Anderson? Well, at, at this point, Ziggy, I'd play him in one of the two. I mean, they're, they're not going to have a lot of games, right? They're having you know, only two games in the span of like 10, 11, 12 days, whatever it's going to be, depending on when they start the playoffs. So, you know, you'd want Jack Campbell to play one of those two games. Yeah, I, I play Freddie one of those. I mean, that's another step for him just to get the NHL action that way. I know we've talked about it, you know, who would start in game number one. I always maintain that, you know, Freddie had to have two real – real quality starts at the NHL level before you entertain that. So I think that ship has sailed. So Jack Campbell to me would be your guy. And then Freddie just getting healthy this time off actually can't hurt him. And having him healthy and ready is a real plus and gives you the depth you didn't have in goal the last couple of years. With Gord Stellick. So we're cheering for the Leafs. We want them to win. We want them to advance. We want this to be a deep playoff run. Who, in your opinion, do we want them playing in the first round, Winnipeg or the more likely candidate as we sit here at this moment, Montreal? Scotty, are the Winnipeg Jets lying in the weeds or something? Like, you know, it's... Uh, it's a really they're, weird they're, way to lie in the weeds, yeah. Gord. It is. <laughs> to lose it all is, the yeah. time. <laughs> Sorry, are they dead in the weeds or lying in the weeds? <laughs> like, that's a... You know, uh, can you pull the weeds? Uh, I, you know, they, to me... Uh, I mean, they're the worst team in the NHL right now, finishing the regular season, which is obviously not the way you want to do it. I still maintain that they're they're the better team um, depth wise up front against the Leafs and a healthy Connor Hellebuck is still he's the he's the reigning Vesna Trophy winner. So I, I view those as uh, all things being equal um, advantages for the Winnipeg Jets. So uh, I, I mean you never want to pick one opponent over the other. So all I'm saying is I would fear neither them because if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, let's face it, it, it it's it's a it's a weird dynamic here. You've not won a playoff round in 14 years. But if you do not win two, not one, if you do not win two playoff rounds this year, then the season is deemed not a success. So you're going to have to play two of those three Canadian-based teams in the North Division. You're going to have to beat them both. So I, I say you got to fear nobody. And a lot of what we're reading and hearing is that the Habs stand no chance against the Leafs. And I've been trying to tell Scotty now for a number of weeks that you got to be careful because if a healthy carry price comes back and plays, we see anything of what his game was like last year in the bubble and Gallagher comes back and you get a guy like Sherratt or Petrie, who all of a sudden on the back end of Montreal show up and play Matthews tough and Petrie shows up on the power play and on the score sheet. I don't think this is an easy out for the Leafs. Is that, is that a crazy take? 
No, I, I not, not to diss Scotty Mac, but I agree with your take, Ziggy. And, 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 you know, you look at throw Edmondson as well, just the, the way the D really played last year in the playoffs for the Montreal Canadiens. See, the, the, the one thing I don't want to say you fear, but the Leafs do not have, and, you know, and, 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 and it's a mountain to climb as a team, is every other Canadian-based team in the playoffs has had some playoff success, has won a playoff round before. I know the Oilers, it was a few years ago, but you remember Connor McDavid and company, they, they had a nice little little run in the playoffs. So I know they mm-hmm. haven't the last couple of years, but they did it. Montreal did it last year. Winnipeg, even though they've had disappointments, they wanted to go deeper, they have also won playoff rounds. The Toronto Maple Leafs as a team will be the only you know team of the four entering without that and, and and it's 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 a big intangible and that's where ziggy like you said all of a sudden you know montreal gets the upper edge a goalie steals the game and all of a sudden just that little and it was an upset win they had last year just that just that kind of experience starts kicking to play and the leafs who have you know the ones that have gone through columbus uh which was a horrible appearance or the game seven disappointments all of a sudden it's something does does that kick in it's it's a it, it's it's something that's a hump they really have to get over accomplishing something as a team in the playoffs of course you you can't you can't have won a playoff series until you have which which i know is a crazily stupid and and overly simplified statement i i would argue that this team does have playoff experience I would agree with you 100% that pretty much all of that playoff experience has not been positive, but you learn from those things, right? There's the, the flip side of that coin is, well, you gotta, you got to learn how to win by losing first. And when I look at this roster, I mean, it's clearly the most talented top to bottom in the North Division. They, they should succeed. They should take that step. Well, they should have last summer, but I agree with you. And I'll give you the difference to where I agree with you. First of all, you're right about that. You know, we, we always talk about teams that win a Stanley Cup, and they have that, you know, well, Washington Capitals. How many times did they have playoff disappointment? So, you know, the Maple Leafs certainly had one, but uh, Columbus was at least one too many if you're the average Leaf fan. I think the big difference is they went out, and from the word go in the regular season this year, they had their act together from top to bottom, all ends of the ice, all hands on deck. Where last year, we've discussed it, it was a dysfunctional setup off the ice. It became a season they never got going. And it's kind of like cramming the last night for an exam that you never really studied or did your work before. And they paid the price. And this year, uh, I love the commitment to that element of game. I like the little spices adding the leadership roles that they added with the guys that they brought in. And, and that, to your point and why I favor them to come out of the, come out of the uh, division, is because what they've shown in the regular season, which is above anything they've shown any other year. Now, Rasmus Sandin didn't play last game and wasn't benched, but it was for salary cap reasons to get different players in. And I don't want to get into the details of of salary cap and making sure you're under. But what do you where do you see him come game one? Is he a lock for you still, or you need to see more of these last two games? Yeah, you know, boy, Ziggy, how about that last night? The Vegas Golden Knights can only dress 15 players because of salary uh, yeah, implications. And it could cost them the President's Trophy. They lost to Colorado 2-1. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very real thing this time of year. I, I see, you know, um, Bogosian's health, obviously, is a situation that's carrying on for a bit. So uh, I see if they have to, if, if he's uh, one of the six healthy D, that being Sandine, that's the guy I put in. That's the guy. I'm glad he got some time. I'm glad what he's shown so far. He's a guy that obviously he's going to get less ice time than the other five. I mean, in the playoffs, you really, 
You look at, you know, it's funny in the playoffs. And I remember talking to Elliot Friedman about this years ago that in a lot of ways, you don't necessarily rule four forward lines, but you do three and a half. And you kind of get your forwards out there in depth, but your stud D start playing a lot of minutes. Like you see teams like their, their stud D's will play 27, 28 minutes, whatever, a few more minutes than they normally do. So, and, and, and that's how you get a guy like whether Sandine or whoever out there not playing significant minutes. Gorge Stellick. With us on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. So every time you think the Buffalo Sabres have hit rock bottom, somebody shows up with a shovel. And Jack Eichel, I mean, I don't know how you make it clear without making it absolutely clear, but that seemed to be what he did yesterday with the wherever it may be end of his sentence describing where he's playing next year. Uh, He wants to have a procedure on a herniated disc in his neck. The team is in disagreement with that, apparently, at this point. The team, my understanding via Elliot Friedman, per the CBA, actually does have final say. So the miscommunication on this matter is problematic. The team is a disaster. Jack Eichel is going to be on the block this summer, Gord, and I don't know if I envy or feel pity for Kevin Adams because it is an opportunity to remake your franchise but when you're trading the best player in a deal you're never going to win the trade at least not in the immediate oh and by the way there probably will be a bidding war and you better take the best bid Boy, you know, you think about Patrick Liney was the second overall pick and and, uh, and Eichel was as well in consecutive years and, and how their situations, their fortunes have changed compared to Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews, their number one pick. So he's got five years left at $10 million per season. So that those are positives in many ways that he's got term and he's signed. Uh, I know the one thing, the Pagula ownership, the mess in Buffalo, they always made it clear that they love Jack Eichel. I would think that's changed. I mean, yeah, that was that was something yesterday. You thought maybe time would have healed the rift or time would have healed some of the problems or they would have solved some, but uh, obviously they haven't. Uh, his, uh, his no move, no trade clause kicks in on July 1st. So, yeah, yeah if you're Kevin Adams, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to think comparables this way about somebody leaving town, this, this, uh, this kind of bitter pill to swallow that way. So you have to turn it into a, um, what do you say, a challenge. If you, get, if, you get, if you get two bitters, just get two bitters for starters, and hopefully you have more Then all of a sudden you have to take, you know, whether you want to call it the best trade or the least worst trade, because you're going to give up the better player. The better player in the trade is going to go from Buffalo somewhere else. Now, I wouldn't put Matt Duchesne in, in Jack Eichel's class at all, but you thought the Ottawa Senators that got screwed in that deal, and he, you know, he never really has come into what a lot of people thought he was. So, uh, you know, there's going to be some uh, – I love Jack Eichel, though, but there's going to be some, whether it's coming back from an injury or other things for him to get back. But, yeah, that that is a huge challenge for Kevin Adams. But, you know, in, in some ways this just kind of makes a, wipes the slate clean for what's been a disaster, and they thought being able to pick Eichel second overall was the beginning of the dawn of a new era, and it hasn't been at all in Buffalo. But can you actually win a trade if you're tr- if you're going to move Eichel? Like, who are you? Who who wants to move on from a player equivalent to Eichel? And I, there's very few in the league that are as good as him. And if you're going to move a handful of players, you're you're not going to win this trade if you're the Sabers. Like the the closest thing I can think of is is Joe Thornton from the Bruins to the Sharks. Oh man, some odd years ago, and Boston did not win that trade. Yeah, Stuart Primo, Marco Sturm. Sturm. Yeah, 
Yeah, that one, you know, there there was a lot of things that, and of course, uh, part of it was the new cap had been in place and the Bruins are in tight and whatever, but you're right. I mean, the word go, that one didn't wow you at all. I mean, to go way, way back, but, you know, Eric Lindros, he was the best player, moved from Quebec to Philadelphia, but Quebec slash Colorado won Stanley Cups with the Peter Forsbergs of the world, which is part of what they got back. So, and at that point, he was a, he was a high level prospect. He was not yet in the NHL. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing where you, you put it on your scouts about saying, okay, uh, the best guy in 2021 going is going to be Jack Eichel. What do you like about franchise X, Y, Z? And, uh, I mean, if you get Peter Forsberg, you don't hit a home run, you hit a grand slam. But, I mean, that, that to me is kind of what you're looking at. You've got to – that's where your scouts come into play. And, yeah, you've got, you've got, you've got more to risk. There's no question. You are, you are at a disadvantage in this particular trade situation because everyone knows you have to make a deal. But then if they value the asset so much that you've got a lot of guys coming to the table, uh, then that makes the job a little bit more palatable. Um, I mean, you got a guy signed for five more years at $10 million per – who's just an unbelievable player when he's healthy. You know, I, I don't know how, how this plays. I think we all think the Rangers are going to be involved. If I'm a major market U.S.-based team, I'm in on this. Like, did, did Todd McClellan sign with the Los Angeles Kings to lie on Newport Beach for half a decade, or did he sign to win some hockey games? Like, why wouldn't the L.A. Kings jump in on something like this? They're, I, I know they've got the old guard in there still with, with Kopitar and Doughty and, and Brown, but they've got some young players. They've got some prospects. I don't know if they could put a package together that might intrigue Buffalo, but I'd want to make a splash if I'm a team like L.A. At least get yeah. in on it. Yeah, be a star in New York, a star in L.A., right? I mean, I, I, I'm with you on those, too. Like, and first of all, the New York Rangers have a lot of dead cap space that's coming up, like Lundqvist's contract, Shattenkirk's contract. Like, they're actually in a pretty good cap situation. L.A.'s by moving Carter, that was one little piece they got off. But no, you're 100%. You're 100%. Like, like it's all of a sudden when you get a, you, you get a rebuild, and then you're, you're rebuilding something, and you get a phone call. And, and say, hey, you know what? We all of a sudden got a chance to get about 100 more workers at your house for the next two days to uh, speed up the process five times. You go, yeah, sure, take it. And that's kind of like what Jack Eichel is. You're doing a rebuild, and you go, wow, we're going we're gonna to put a piece of the foundation we never thought we could get right now. Love it, Gord. We'll do it Thursday. Look forward to it. Sounds good, guys. Take care. Gord Stellick with Nick Alberga, the co-host of Leafs Nation Pre and Post here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Hugh into studio for the panel discussion at the top of the hour. Back into the Leafs and the likely first-round playoff matchup with the Habs. The Jack Eichel situation. Bob Baffert's story about how his horsey got roided up. If you haven't heard, you need to hear. We'll touch on that. And the Blue Jays heading into Atlanta tonight. Duggan Brantford has the tinfoil cap on this morning. Will Buffalo send Jack wherever Bettman tells them he's going? <laughs> Mike from Brampton, if you're L.A., are you offering a package with Byfield for Eichel? Well, I would imagine from the Sabres' perspective, that would be where it starts. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a lot more than that. Well, a lot more than that, but Byfield would be a part of it. Quentin Byfield, I would think. Tom from Hanover. Go ahead. You don't win. You don't win. No, you don't. There's... There's no package of players. 
There's nothing. There's nothing that's going to come close to a franchise player like Eichel. I don't want to... After the season Matthews had, the 40 goals, it's tough to compare him to, but that's the comparison. It's like Matthews. Who are you okay right. the Leafs traded Matthews for? Right, but if the relationship is so... Oh, he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. So no, he's so, gone. So you are trying essentially, Ziggy, to limit the degree and amount to which you're screwed. If you're the Buffalo yes. Sabres, so I think you. I think you get back. I, th- what I would do is I would get picks back. I wouldn't even take players because then at least at least it's your choice, and you can say a draft pick didn't turn out well. You're in the Bruins, and you trade Joe Thornton. For Primo Sturm and uh, Stewart, I just you don't you don't win those trades. You, you got to go back win, and you, look. You got to win the. You got to go to the Cup Finals. Like I'd have to those go players, back and yeah. look. It was Sturm Young back then. Like I, I, none of those three names strike me as somebody who was in their early to mid twenties at that point. Now the game was different fifteen years ago. We were just coming out of the lockout, the year long lockout and all that. But that yeah, Boston didn't really get any sort of up and coming guy. Or any pick of any consequence in that trade, I think. I think a deal for Jack Eichel, I agree with you, would look different. And it's an interesting thought you have on the picks. I do think, though, like a Quinton Byfield, who's got high, high upside, was a high first rounder for the LA Kings, would be someone you could sell to the fan base as someone who could grow with the franchise. But uh, we'll see. I just bring up LA because I. I mean, it's obviously a a prime landing spot. And I don't think Jack Eichel would argue with it. And I also feel that Todd McLennan, uh, McClellan, who's been there for two years and the team is still struggling along is, is, is there to win hockey games at some point. And it hasn't happened yet. Uh, the blue Jays will play national league baseball for the next three days in Atlanta. We'll touch on that. Kevin Barker for the full half hour at seven 30. So be listening for your cue to call bark at Barker. The phone lines will be open. Texts as well. The 590-590. Rick Nash of the Columbus Blue Jackets working in their front office. John Gibbons is ahead. And Hugh into studio as we uh, tee up the Leafs' final two games. The plan for Freddie Anderson. The likely playoff matchup with Montreal. And how did the horse that won the Kentucky Derby get the steroids into its system? Wait until we tell you what the trainer is claiming. Jeff, the stable boy, isn't feeling very well. Yeah. Does what we all do when we got a little bit of a cough and down some medicine, a little cough syrup. Yep. Yep. And, I mean, I'm standing around. I'm working at my job. There's a bunch of dirt everywhere, a bunch of hay. I mean, why am I going to walk 500 meters back to the 
the clubhouse to use an actual bathroom when I can just take a leak anywhere. The horses do it right there. I go pee on some hay. Yep. And out comes some of that cough syrup. Yep. Yep. The horse, Medina Spirit, eats the hay. Mm. And then ends up testing positive for a steroid after winning the Kentucky Derby, all because stable boy Jeff took some cough medicine and later peed on the hay that Medina Spirit ate. (laughs) Sounds plausible. What is this, right out of the Lance Armstrong uh, school of lies? I want to know how how they determined that that's what actually happened. Like, did a stable boy or a groomer, in this case, did did he, well, I'm assuming it's a he, did he come up and say, no, I'm the one who took a whiz, I I apologize. No, but it's like Bob Baffert, the trainer, who told this story to the Dan Patrick show and and has said it in other places. It's like Bob Baffert said, what is the craziest, stupidest thing we can say that absolutely 100% sounds like a lie and it's so bad that it almost has to be believable because who could make it up? Yeah. Like, am I, am I going to come up with something so ridiculous as this? You have to believe me. Obviously, this is what happened. I don't know. It's uh, he said, he said right now. Jeez. Yeah. I, I, yeah. The only I, one who knows it's, for it's, sure it's, is it's a little ridiculous. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little ridiculous. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> like almost, be, almost believable. Who's believing this? I want to know who who's out there. Who no, what I'm saying is, is it's so ludicrous that yeah. it, you almost have to believe it because who would actually go to the lengths to try to make this up? Yeah, the only one who knows for sure is the horse, and he ain't talking. He ain't talking. <laughs> <laughs> Be great if Medina Spirit know. like channeled <laughs> Mister Ed. And actually, I have a I I have a Hugh comment. They're right. grasping at straws at this oh, point. Oh right. God. <laughs> I had to before you got that in. Excellent. Very good work, Ziggy. If you Very were here good. in studio, we'd start throw, we'd start throwing haymakers oh! after that one. Um, okay, enough, enough. Right. That's two oh in one God. half hour. Bob Baffert trying to bail out his horse. <laughs> the hits keep coming, okay, kids. We can't real. stop. For real, that's enough. Good God. <laughs> Look what I started. <laughs> Last time I ever do that again. Oh, God. Imagine this comedy troupe on stage. We would die a very, very quick The thing is, we would think death. we're funny, though. Like, the three of us would think we're hilarious. As yeah, we'd start throwing, we, like, rotten tomatoes at us. We'd start yeah. laughing so badly at our own stupid jokes yeah, yeah. that people would probably just eventually start laughing, and that would that would be the win yeah. for the night. We're stand-up comedians. We stand up and everybody laughs. Uh, there's a text here uh, to 590... 590. Mitch from Orangeville has a question for you, Hugh. Oh, I, I okay. like I look at this and I go, yes, without even okay. thinking twice. Mitch from Orangeville, I'm a Habs fan, so I've got to ask Hugh, would you do Caulfield and Kotkaniemi for Jack Eichel yes. and Rasmus? Yes. Darlene. Yes. Yeah, like what? Absolutely. No brainer. Would you trade a winger for a center? Yeah. And would you trade a centerman for a former first yeah. overall defenseman who still has high, high. Cole Caulfield upset. and Jesperi Kutkinyemi are. Say that again. That was fancy. Jesperi Kutkinyemi. 
You're very good. Uh, they're they're great young players. They they really are, and they have bright futures. Neither one of them is ever going to come close to Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel is is. I've heard him referred to as like one of the top ten players in the league. He might be one of the top like six or seven. Yeah, he's players a great player. He's he's fantastic, and the Rangers are really going to enjoy his stay on Broadway. Yeah. yeah, or the Kings. I, I don't know why I'm coming at. Uh, yeah, wh- why? Well, just because it's Los Angeles. Because yeah. it's Los Angeles. Because because the Kings haven't been good for the last few years. I know they've got some big salaries with splash, yeah. with Kopitar and whatever. But I, like I said, Todd McClellan didn't go there to spend five years losing, yeah. and he's done that for the first two. And it really, how close are they? I mean, they weren't close at all this year there's, in that Western Division. There's not a team in the league that's not going to put a call in. Oh yeah. There's not like who wouldn't put a call in now. What's it? What's it going to, what's it going to take? What do you want? Now the Leafs, have, the Leafs yeah. wouldn't put a call in, would they? Or maybe, Why not? Yeah. Well, they, they've got serious salary cap issues though. Don't they? Yeah. I just, I'm, I, I, I don't right. see you're any right, teams. You're right, Ziggy. It's worth a call, right? It, it's absolutely yeah. worth a call. Why not? We got texts flooding in Adam from Tottenham. This is on the horsey thing. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you need to stall this conversation. Oh, okay. okay. Very nice. Well Very done. Nice. Well done. Our yeah. defense attorney on retainer, Allison yeah. in Toronto. Yeah. I will represent the horse pro bono. <laughs> Chris in Toronto says when the horse was told about the bad test, someone asked him, why the long face? <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is so... It's Rick. bad and good at the same time. Rick and Mimico is the horse trainer, also part of the PR team for the <laughs> NHL player safety department. <laughs> I see I see what you did there, Rick. The PR team. I like it. Oh. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Text lines are wide open we'll at 59590. Spring- Keep them coming. Why not? Yeah, we'll sprinkle them. I mean, no more horses, please. No, no more. more. No. no. We're done. No. <laughs> we, we, oh, there'll there'll be more. There'll be more. Uh, Frederick Anderson back on the ice uh, and has been for a little bit with the Leafs. Played a game and a half with the Marlies. Nick Foligno, Zach Hyman, Riley Nash all practiced yesterday with regular colored jerseys on. So none of the red, don't touch me, no contact practice jerseys. So guys are getting closer here. And the question becomes now, you got two games left. You're in Ottawa tomorrow night on a special edition of Hockey Night in Canada on Sportsnet. And then you've got the road game in Winnipeg on Friday night to close out the regular season. Now I'm seeing some suggestions, including by Steve Simmons on Twitter, that the final Canucks Flames game, they got a bunch coming up here. And of course, neither are going to the playoffs. Montreal clinched the final North division spot last night that the final Canucks Flames game scheduled for May 19th, which is a week tomorrow could be played in the afternoon to facilitate the start of the North Division playoffs one week from tomorrow night, right? Because let's get the playoffs yeah, yeah. going. That, and now, would that that would be Vancouver's final game, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. Calgary, yeah. right? I mean, that's, so that would put an end to all of that. So if you play Friday, and, and let's just say for the sake of it, you're playing again Wednesday night. Yeah. So that's actually not as... That's not bad. That's not as long a break as I was worried about when... Five I was days. thinking about how all of this stuff might be pieced together. But I think what you want to do here, if if I'm if I'm Sheldon Keefe, and again, I'm assuming all things are equal, guys are healthy, whatever, I'm playing Campbell tomorrow night against the Senators in Ottawa, and I'm playing 
Freddie Friday night in Winnipeg against the Jets. Give him one more yeah. game. That's yeah. how I'd roll. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind giving each. You're good. Freddie's getting in one of them. Uh, he didn't go down to get his conditioning up in the minors for nothing, right? He's expecting to play. Like when I look at the Campbell Freddie thing, and this is something that hasn't really been discussed. Is wh- how much like I, I, as a former player. When guys get hurt, if you're good enough or you're a veteran player, you have enough years in the league, you don't lose your job when you come back. And I don't know how you guys feel about this. Like, like if mm. if Austin Matthews missed the same amount of time and then he went down to the Marlies, won in a conditioning stint, and then he came back, do you th- like do you put him back in action? Do you put him back with Marner? Do you like how how would you treat a Matthews or a Tavares. Well, I they, think it's they, I think it's different, Ziggy, in that the goaltender position is isolated. So you could bring Austin Matthews back, and you could start him on the third line and play him there a period and let him get his legs underneath. There's him. nowhere to and hide then, for a goaltender, right? There's nowhere to hide. It's and and the example that I I can think of to counter your point, and it doesn't make it right. But the example I can think of to counter your point is when Alex Smith of the 49ers went down with a concussion seven or eight weeks into the 2012 NFL season, Colin Kaepernick took over. And when Smith was ready to come back, Jim Harbaugh, then the head coach of the 49ers, stayed with Kaepernick. Now, the 49ers ended up going to the Super Bowl and and losing that Super Bowl to Baltimore, but Alex Smith, who was a dignified player and had been through a lot with that organization, was essentially pushed aside. That's the one that obviously, there's got to be others, but that's the one that stands out to me relatively recently. I just, I'm just, a guy like Anderson and Campbell's been incredible, but if Anderson start, like say Anderson came back, played both these games and you know, let in three, four, five goals in both of them and looked good. I'm okay with Anderson starting game one. Like I wouldn't be I wouldn't be well, upset. I think it, he, it's it's not it's not fair for Campbell. Trust me, 17 like it's incredible. This isn't just a lucky weekend stretch backup goaltender. That's a legit string of games, a good part of the season where he's been the best goaltender in the league. But Anderson's done so much, and when do you how, how, when do you decide to move on from a guy? And they've decided well, to move on. But if 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 you're halfway through a 56 game, so it's, a, it's like 28 game, 28 game, 30, and Frederick Anderson's coming back, then he's got he's got some time. I, I just think that feelings and all of that have to go out the windows. If you think Frederick Anderson's the best option, that's a different conversation than saying. Well, Frederick Anderson can't lose his job due to injury. Therefore, he's got to go back in the net. It's way different if you're playing game 40 of an 82-game season or game 30 of a 56-game season and trying to get his legs back underneath him than to say, you haven't really done much for two months. Here, go play game one and don't suck because we need you to win not just this game, get us off on the right foot, but we need you to win playoff series. Yeah, for us. You, you play the guy that's going to give you the best chance of winning. Like these are the playoffs. Now there, there's no time for niceties. There's and no, if Jack Eichel yeah. had a three and a half goals yeah. against with an 880 save percentage, we'd be waiting yeah. with bated breath for Freddie. You said Jack Eichel. 
Jack Eichel, Jack That'd Campbell. That'd be pretty good, actually, if Jack Eichel did have a 380. You know, An 880 save percentage for a centerman <laughs> would not, not be bad. That's not yeah. bad. By the way, uh, seriously, guys, quit horsing around. You guys need to have a straw poll to see if anyone believes this story. <laughs> and this is getting unacceptable. Yeah, and now. Derek says that horse story really pisses me off. So there you go. Yeah, I, I'm just with with. I I'm at this point for me. I just I I don't I don't like how everybody's writing off Anderson. And but people were writing off Anderson before he got hurt. Ziggy, remember yeah, that? Yeah. The thing about it is that if you wanted to move, if you wanted to give somebody else a shot, like say you didn't want Anderson in for the playoffs this year. This is the best situation that could have happened. He battles an injury. He's out. The backup comes in. We see enough of him where he can start the playoffs, right? Like if, if say Freddie doesn't get injured, doesn't miss much time, doesn't go to the Marlies. He starts in the playoffs, right? Say Campbell goes 10 and two and doesn't, you know, doesn't go 17 to say he goes eight and two, seven and two. I don't think Campbell starts the playoffs. The fact that he's gone on such a run and Freddie's has this injury now that he's obviously been battling the whole year. It's easier to put Campbell in now, right? Like how hard would it have been before if you started Anderson? Like, I think it's, I think it would be harder to start Anderson and then pull him and put Campbell in, but starting Campbell and then having Freddie come in and run with it is a lot easier of a situation. Yeah, I just, I mean, Campbell's getting game one. I, I have. I agree. It has yeah. to be. It has to be. Just. It, it, but I, I still think we see Freddie's a pretty good. Yeah, he's a pretty good fallback. Yeah, I, I, I mean, still think we see him in the playoffs. I do. See Carey Price in the playoffs. Uh yes, yes. But but what Carey Price are we going to see right. in the playoffs? Boy, they're beat up. Just with injuries. So oh, here we go. Start, uh, so, uh, here we go. I'm, I'm, start I'm, revving I'm, up the excuse wagon. I'm, vroom, I'm vroom. Preloading the excuses. Yeah. <laughs> You're not confident at all. No, not you. at all. Uh, you know, Habs started great. They, they were arguably maybe the best team in the league for the first 10 games of the season. But and then they, it just that wasn't sustainable. They're, they're, they're a good team, which can be dangerous if all of their players, if all their best players are being their best players. They're one of the fastest teams in the league, and they, they go from defense to offense maybe better than anybody in the league, but um, they don't have a lot of depth. They go from defense to offense better than anybody in the league. They just don't finish <laughs> exactly. a lot of the offensive yeah. chances and, they and, create. Hey, uh, Toffoli and Anderson have been absolute joys to watch this year, but but they need more than those guys. And, and without Brendan Gallagher, who's the engine that runs that team, ugh, it, this one could be over quick. Yeah. The Brady-Bledsoe comparison is coming in on the for Freddie Anderson, Jack Campbell situation, okay, right? Bledsoe great. got hurt. Tom sure. Brady took over, yeah. won a Super Bowl. We never heard from Drew yeah. Bledsoe in New England again. Obviously moved on to Buffalo and then to Dallas. So they're comparing Jack Campbell to Tom Brady then. Uh, Graham from Guelph, all of these horse jokes. This whole story is a nightmare. Nice. I like it. Pretty good. I like it. Good with that. Keep them coming. <laughs> Five ninety-five. Now we should run. Started this. I, you I, did. I, it's your fault. It's on you. I have never done that in my <laughs> life. 
I've in two years I've never. <laughs> you even done it. set it up. You're I, like, I've I got a hue for you. I know because I've, I've never done it before. I'm like, I'll do it once, but I'm not doing this ever again. And oh, look what happened. Nice. And then Hugh, <laughs> I jumped in with the haymaker yeah. comment. Hugh had whatever he said. Yeah. Mine's so brilliant, I can't even Try remember what you said. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, Ziggy, that's what happens when you pop the top on Pandora's box, buddy. Tim Shirelli and the consequences. Tim Shirelli and Peterborough. I'm loving the carousel of jokes. <laughs> God. What the? So stupid. Just Mike in Ottawa. Ziggy says nay. <laughs> nay. To more horse jokes. Wow. It's it's officially out of control. It's officially out of control. We're going to need other human beings to step in here and get this thing back on track. And speaking of other human beings, John Gibbons, former manager of the Blue Jays, at 8.35 this morning, we'll tee up the Jays and his current employer, Atlanta. He's a special assistant to the uh, president of baseball ops, Alex Anthopoulos. Rick Nash is doing exit interviews with the Columbus Blue Jackets this morning. He's a special assistant to GM Yarmo Kekalainen. Of course, a former first overall draft pick uh, taken by the Blue Jackets in 2002. He's going to take a break in between his exit interviews to jump on the show at 815. We'll talk about John Tortorella and how that relationship has, has come to an end and where the Jackets go from here. Some thoughts on the playoffs as well. Coming up next, Kevin Barker for the full half hour. We're teeing up the Jays in Atlanta. National League rules for three days. Starting in Atlanta tonight, 7 o'clock on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and on Sportsnet. And it's Bark at Barker time. The phone lines are open, 416-870-0590. Star 590 is free on your cell. Long distance is one triple eight triple six zero five ninety. We'll take your phone calls. Barking at Barker, the text can roll in too to five ninety five ninety. And we haven't talked to Barker yet about this obsession with velocity. Nate Pearson can throw a hundred. Why does it matter if he throws one hundred five or even one ten someday? We'll discuss it with Kevin next. Ziggy, the text line is now officially out of control. <laughs> None are better than what started it all. We'll, get, all we'll get back into some of the horsey texts <laughs> at the top of the hour. We are busy for the next half hour, and the phone lines are open right now at 416-870-0590. Star 590 is free on your cell long distance. It's free, one 590 if you want to bark at Barker at any point in the next half hour, and the text line's open as well, 590-590. Stop with the horsey jokes. we got to get into some baseball here. Got to get into some rawhide, the horse side. Uh, our Insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Here he is, the co-host of Baseball Central with Jeff Blair, 2 o'clock every day, right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan Kevin Barker. Hey, pal. boys. How we doing? We're, uh, What's happening, bud? We're living the dream. We're doing get in, line, get in line with that. Oh, you bet. You bet. <laughs> yeah. oh, all right. No, I'm not wasting any time. We're bringing back yesterday's chat, starting it up this morning. So Nate Pearson, Kev, Yeah. and I, I'm sure you saw it too. Stephen Brunt did a, a really interesting piece on the pregame show before Sunday's game in Houston about the pursuit of velocity. 
uh-huh. and how Nate has thrown the fastest pitch in Blue Jays history, 101.5 miles per hour, but how Nate believes that he can work his way to 105, maybe 106, with the aim of possibly getting to 110, which doctors and scientists say may be the max that a human being can throw a baseball. My question is, if you've got a triple-digit fastball with plus secondary stuff, why? Why do you need to get to 105, 106? Okay, let me ask you a question. Do you really think he has plus secondary stuff? Do you think he can, can he command 96, 97 miles an hour to both sides of the plate? Well, we, we didn't see it Sunday, and we haven't seen it consistently at the big league level, but a lot of people who've tracked this guy through the minor leagues believe that he does and believe that he huh. will get there in the bigs. Yeah, I'm not saying he won't either. Yeah, that's why I'm the, the one yelling and screaming that says you have to leave him in the big leagues, let him figure it out with Pete Walker, right? He, he's at least the next three starts. What he's going to have the next three starts would be against the Phillies, the Red Sox, and Tampa Bay, and they're all at home. Uh, look, that's three pretty tough uh, lineups, but those are lineups that, you know, when you're at home and you have the, the, the tools that he has at his every beck and call, it's it's time to start seeing some some steps forward. Plus secondary stuff, I don't see it. I, th- I think he's a two pitch guy. He, he's a he's a velocity guy and he's a slider guy. His breaking ball's not big league yet. Uh, his changeup he doesn't throw enough. Uh, th- those two pitches, uh, really, I don't think at any time in account he can throw those to get back in account. Th- th- those are what secondary pitches do. Is you you are able to steal a strike. Oh oh, well, can he get a breaking ball over for strike one? Ah, occasionally he can if he's feeling frisky out there and he's coming and a little bit of the fastball. He, he does that a little bit better. Can he expand with a slider, make it look like a strike, end up a ball, strike out a pretty tough right-handed hitter? Not, we haven't really seen that. Uh, the one thing he can do when he's doing it is the velocity down and away. He was trying to do that against the Astros, right? The Astros, this is why everybody's screaming about a balanced lineup. It's because when you have a righty, lefty, righty, lefty, righty, lefty, is that pitcher has to pitch to each one of those guys differently. You know, the, the righties you got to elevate, or you got to pitch down the lefties you got to elevate can Nate Pearson go out and every single different batter do exactly what I just mentioned with, with a good secondary stuff with a good located fastball right now he can't really do that. that that's that's the one thing that he has to to get past is the deer in the headlights look he, he's got a little bit of that every time he pitches is when he's out there he's he's really has a checklist you can almost watch him doing it whenever he gets the ball back from the from the catcher it's actually like when he steps on the rubber he's thinking about okay when I raise my leg my hand has to go here the ball's going to end up here if I choke it off I'm doing this I'm, I'm not doing that it's it's almost like there's so much going on between the ears that he forgets about oh by the way, I have to throw a strike. And until he gets sort of past that kind of thing, you're going to see the ups and downs in the three and two-thirds with 80 pitches thrown. Four one six eight seven zero zero five ninety. if you want to bark at Barker. Kevin is with us uh, until the top of the hour here on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. So a couple of things. I just His splits last year, his lefty-righty splits, Kevin, were out of control. Like mm-hmm. lefties mashed him, and he was – essentially dominant against right-handers. So I thought it was interesting, obviously in a small sample size, first turn through the lineup, all of Houston's left-handed hitters on Sunday afternoon reached base that first turn through. Nate retired all of the right-handed hitters. To your point about being a two-pitch guy at this point, that spells reliever to me over the long term. I'm not saying now, because he could still develop 
a, a more vast repertoire. He's obviously got multiple pitches yeah. behind the fastball, but he needs to command them, and he needs to be able to dominate with them. Okay, let me, let, I'm let not me. saying reliever now, but if you're telling me he's a two-pitch guy two or three seasons from now, I envision that more than why I envision would you even have this? Why would you even have this conversation when he's only had five starts at the big league level? I, I, Jeff, well, I Jeff, Blair, Jeff Blair's yelling and screaming about, uh, I have to see three digits from him. I know we can do it. Oh, let's see it. I, I'm okay with, with, with two and a third giving up five walks if I see 100 miles an hour. Really? I, it gets to that thing where just because you got it in the tank don't mean you always have to use it. How about, you know, getting in a nice flow of the game, getting a nice finish to your windup, you know, establishing down and away. Right, he he was trying to do that early in the game. You could see that. He, he was really nibbling at the bottom part of the lineup with, with both his slider, his little get-me-over breaking ball. He didn't throw his changeup really. I mean, he threw two or three of them, so you could basically eliminate that pitch. But he was trying to establish the bottom part of the lineup. That And okay. whenever he would try to go up, you could see the the ball was all over the map because, right, the mechanics are not there. The finish is not there. He's got a head jerk. A head jerk's not the easiest thing to fix. Head jerk, if you don't know what that means, is at the point of releasing the baseball, his eyes are at the fir- in the first base dugout. You don't really see where the ball's going, and you don't have good finish to your pitches, right? You're not falling off towards where you want the ball to go, and that's why you see it's erratic. It's all over the place, and he can never be efficient, and he doesn't really uh, – He's not really able to command any pitch, right? He's a fastball guy first. You have to establish that to all parts of the strike zone, whether that's away, in, down, or up, right? I'm not real sure he can do the in part to both sides of the batter. That's a lot to ask. That's a very small target. But he can go away, he can elevate, and he can go down. So he's got three different really fastballs. It's just maintaining the velocity. Can he do that? That would tell you something about the mechanics, right? We saw 94, anywhere from 94 miles an hour on this fastball to 98 miles an hour. And it was everything in between. It really wasn't, okay, he's throwing a fastball at 96, his next fastball's 96, his next fastball's 97. It wasn't really a consistent velocity there. It, which would tell you, right, when we saw him last year, he was overthrowing, and he was really chasing velocity. He wasn't doing that. So if you had any plus whatsoever walking away from that game, it was that, that you really wasn't every time you were throwing a fastball, turning around, looking at the scoreboard, thinking it had to be 100 because everybody tells him, oh, if you're throwing 100, why not throw it all the time? So it, there, there was pluses from that game. Now it's just you get with Pete Walker. You, you go into your bullpens. You think about what you want to do, where you want to throw it, how many times you want to throw it. Can you steal strikes with a certain secondary pitch? Why not throw your changeup a little bit more? Do you really need a windup? You know, what's, what, what's a windup do? A windup gives you momentum, and it helps you finish your pitches if he has one of those now. Is that a little bit more advanced stuff? Maybe because of the deer in the headlights look. That's the one thing Petey cannot teach him. Petey can help him do all of these things with his mechanics and tell him where he needs to have his release point with his breaking ball and where he needs to start his change up and, and you know, where his strength is with his location, with his fastball. He cannot teach him the deer in the headlight look. That's something he's going to have to get over. How do you do that? That's not something for me to answer. That's something for him well, to Well, the hard part of it, Kev, is that is that this is not 2019 where this team is expecting to lose 90-plus games. He yeah. is He is trying to develop. He is trying to emerge on a team with expectations, a team that is over 500 despite a long list of weird things that have happened so far this year, whether it's the attrition on the pitching staff, the troubling left side of the uh, infield in particular, but generally left side defense, the lack of George Springer for essentially all but four games 
this year. We the the lack of a home, Dunedin to Buffalo eventually, <laughs> yeah. and Toronto's not even on the horizon yet. Like there's a lot going on here, so he's got to figure everything out that you just listed, doing it at the highest level of the sport for a team that needs him to go out and be good because they've got two open starting rotation spots and it's becoming clearer by the start that Steven Matz would profile better as a four or a five as opposed to the three behind Ryu and Ray. Yeah, I see. I don't, I, all the other things that you mentioned besides him actually looking at the guy standing in the batter's box for me really doesn't matter. He's 24 years old. He's trying to establish himself as a big league. You don't care where his home field's at, right? Other people do because of how you know much the ball carries. The older guys like the Rays and the Reus and the Ross Striplings, they care. It's about performance. And it's about pitching to the ballpark. They know how to do that. Nate Pearson's not that kind of guy. Nate, Nate Pearson doesn't care about where he's playing. He cares. Right now, it just looks to me like whoever's standing in the batter's box seems to give him a little bit issue with okay now I'm thinking about so much about where I need to throw him and oh my gosh it's a it's a guy that can drive my best pitch now I have to think about doing something else other than it's your strength well what is what is your strength forget about the guy standing in the batter's box my strength is velocity and location with that velocity how do I establish that first and then all of my secondary pitches that are uh are not are, don't have to be so fine because I'm establishing my best pitch. It, uh, that that's the one thing that you really need to see is it, forget about all that other stuff. It, it's just establishing that one best pitch and then see where it goes. It, it could because if he's throwing quality strikes with say 97, it doesn't have to be 100. I, trust me, I face 97. It's pretty tough. You know, uh, 100's the next level. But let's not ask for that. Let's ask for consistent 97 locating. And then let's find out where that goes. And now all of a sudden you don't have to be a four-pitch guy. You can be a two-pitch guy. That's the difference yeah. between me, between him being a 4A guy and an established big leaguer. They're not asking him to be the number one or two. They're asking him to be a number five and give him five innings, five quality innings. You know, one or two runs given up, that's it. They're not asking any anything other than that. That's why they brought in veteran guys like Ray, right? like Matts, like Ross Stripling. That's why they brought him in, so hopefully they can carry the load and let Nate Pearson figure it out, whatever figuring it out means. Yeah, and the deer in the headlights thing is, is uh, I, I understand what you're saying, and you've been there before, right? When you have a top prospect that comes up, it's more often than not, not, what that it's not it's not a physical thing it's not that he can't throw a baseball for me it's like when you're watching him up there it looks like it looks like he's he he can't handle the pressure almost right kevin and i don't is that just him not being prepared him not having the experience or is it something bigger is it uh, the talk around alec manoa and the fact that there's been a lot of there, there's been a lot of discussion around him and how <clears throat> he should get a shot right now. Does, yeah. it, it, you know, is there okay, some of that? that I, I, can't, I can't really answer that. I can only answer what I went through. And I, I'll never forget, I was playing pool with Curtis Laskanik. I don't know if you guys remember that, a relief pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers when I was coming up. And we were shooting pool one time at somebody's house, and I was struggling. And I was asking, what's going on? What do you think? What are you seeing from me? Is there something I can do to, to make me a better hitter at the plate? He said, you're whipped on the on-deck circle. And I said, what? What are you talking about? He said, I can look over on the on-deck circle, and you look like you're not ready to hit. Like, you're not ready to, to – I can't wait to get to the plate. Nate Pearson's got a little bit of that. Uh, that. That's not something that somebody else can fix. A coach can't walk up and tell you to fix that. You, 
I went through, I didn't trust myself being a big leaguer, thinking that I deserved to be in the big leagues. All the hard work I'd done when I was a kid and, and when I was coming up in high school and, and college and, and coming up through the minor leagues, I wasn't trusting that and, and believing that I was a big leaguer. Belief is a huge thing at the big league level. You, you look at Bo Bichette. <laughs> That's the difference right there. Bo Bichette, you know, is hitting like somewhere around 220 off the fastball. Would you know that? Not a chance. You know, want to know why? Look at the way he carries himself at the plate. You, you would never know that sometimes he has issues with, with timing with that big giant leg kick. No, because he's already got half, half the battle whip because he's walking to the plate believing that he's a big league player and one of the best in baseball. That's where Nate Pearson has to get to. Believe that my 98 can't be hit. I can throw this thing to you in any count at any time. You got no chance. That's where he needs to get to, and, and th this is a hopefully what we're seeing. Forget about all the secondary things and, and how, you know, him throwing 110 miles an hour. Who cares? It's that thing of my 98 place here, and I'm going to throw it to you whether you like it or not. Are you buying what Danny Jansen has started to sell a little bit more of lately offensively? I, well, I don't know what the definition of that. He's not going to hit what he'll probably be somewhere around a 200 hitter if you're lucky. Uh, I've said this since day one. He, all he has to do is hit somewhere between 12 and 15 homers and drive in 40 runs. Who cares what he hits, right? He's going to be hitting eighth or ninth in your lineup, depending on what league you're playing in. Uh, if he, occasionally, maybe once a week, he runs into a three-run homer and helps the team that way, and gets the line, it gets the rotation and the bullpen through some some quality innings. Uh, that's what he's here for. It's it's just doing your part. Uh, he's not going to get three or four hits a game for a week straight. No, uh, he's made adjustments, which is a big deal. Uh, you know, all the things I, I've mentioned this to you the last time I think we were we were on the air that all the hard work that he did in the off season obviously wasn't working. And, and I was asking you, what is the hardest time to have a slump? Is it middle of the season? Is it end of the season? Is it the beginning of the season? And I started thinking about that a little bit more. And I really do. It's the beginning of the season. You want to know why I think that is? All of that hard work that Danny Jansen was doing, right? He was widening out. His hands had a little bit more wrap to it. Uh, he was going up thinking he could look breaking ball, sit breaking ball occasionally. All of the things he was doing... <laughs> Over 35, now you throw that out the window. Now you're totally revamping what you want to do with the plate. Now all of a sudden, I'm a little closer together. I'm using my legs a little bit more. I'm not wrapping my barrel as much. I want it shorter and quicker. I want to eliminate one of the big moves, which is uh, he's trying to do that. His last game, he got back to wrapping a little bit more. That barrel's a little bit more straighter up and down. Basically, he's just taking knob to, to baseball. It's... One of those things where, right, if everybody else is hitting in the lineup, you don't really care what Danny's doing. It's that times where Vladdy's are not hitting, the Bichette's are not hitting, Marcus Simeon's not hitting, George Springer's not in the lineup, and then all of a sudden more spotlights on Danny, and that's when everybody starts picking at what he's doing. Me, hit 12 to 15, drive in 40 runs, and I'm good with that. 416-870-0590, 416-870-0590. You want to bark at Barker? The phone lines are always open. Daryl is in Whitby. Morning, Daryl. Daryl. Morning, guys. How are you? We're good. I just wanted to say, like, you watch this team right now. They could have 100 George Springers and Bichette and, and Guerrero and them doing their thing. But at the end of the day, if they don't stabilize their rotation, this team's not going anywhere. You can't just have Ryu. There's nobody else really, really on that team right now that's uh, consistent. Yeah. Pitching-wise. 
Yeah, that, that's a that's a that's a good call by Daryl. It, it's every, every I love the bark. Everybody is in baseball is trying to get a really good starting rotation, right? All all you're trying to do is get three guys that can carry your team, and then you get two guys who fill in the blanks. Aren't you okay? You're okay with Ray though. Ray's been. I, I I'm very good with Ray. Yeah. I, so they he, got two right now, in my he, opinion. He, yeah. That they do. That's why you're trying to get Alec Manoa up here. You're trying to get Nate Pearson ready to go. You get rid of the Ross Striplings. You get rid of the Trent Thorntons. You get rid of the Tommy Malones. You know, th- those are hard watches. This is what they're trying to do. It's a little bit of trial and error. They're hoping that their offense carries the, carries the load. The George Springer thing comes into play with your rotation <clears throat> because obviously <clears throat> you're trying to n- not only, you know, take guys to the next level with the young guys, in the rotation, but you're also trying to win. And that's a very hard thing to do. It's very hard to, to, to mix the two together and get where you ultimately want to go, and it gets back to the lineup. The, the lineup has to carry this team for long periods of time, with especially all the injuries now, the soft tissue things and the calves and the, the pulling the muscles. And, and it it's, it's, gets down to superstars have to be superstars. And if the Blue Jays want to make the playoffs, for me it comes down to the lineup. 416-870-0590 to bark at Barker. Heading into a National League park tonight, is there a significant advantage to the NL team in these interleague games that are played in NL parks? Of course, there's no DH. The pitchers hit. We'll get into that in just a moment. Kevin Barker with us until the top. The hour co-host of Baseball Central with Jeff Blair, 2 o'clock each and every day here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm... I mean, I, I've kind of been passed. I've always liked, Kevin, the, the difference between the American League with the DH and the National League with the pitchers hitting. And I know that the generation before us remembers the day when pitchers only hit. So it's it's like the game has evolved, and we understand that the DH came along in the 70s. With all the interleague play now, like the fact that an American League team plays a National League team at a point other than the World Series... Yeah. I'm coming around to the idea of harmonizing the game. I mean, yeah. do it one way or do it the other way. And I think when I say that, I understand that we're headed toward a universal DH. This notion of the Jays pitchers having to hit tonight. Oh, I mean, that's a huge, huge, at, at least Atlanta is used to it, right? I mean, I don't think it makes it yeah. any better or easier for them, but but at least they're used to it. It's yeah, batting, ba- batting averages are down throughout baseball. Yeah. The league average is somewhere around 231. What would tell you the le- the the pitchers' averages are going to go up? Velocities are going up. The the elevated fastball, the shifts, how much they use secondary pitches, it's not even worth watching. It's asinine. You can say it out loud. The pitchers hitting is asinine. Having Robbie Ray going up and standing in the back, back of the batter's box and taking two big giant hacks and missing the ball by three feet, do you really want to see that? And then all of a sudden, if a guy gets on first base with nobody out, and you would actually ask him to bunt, I, uh, I, I mean, it's just, it it just doesn't make any sense. Then you have these American League teams who are coming in, well, like the Blue Jays, who need to have their full lineup. The lineup is their strength right now, and they need every guy in there that matters. And and say you don't have a Rowdy Tellez in there. Say you're not going to have a Kevin Biggio in there against the lefty. You'll you'll have Santiago Espinal, right? You might be upgraded defensively, but Bo, but Kevin Biggio seems to you know be hunting the, the ball down a little bit better, and, and when he's getting it, he's not missing it. He's starting to get in a little bit of a flow. It, it's You don't have your best lineup. You're, you're, not, you're not coming to the fight with, with all your best stuff. I, I just don't understand it. I never will understand. I never have understood it. Yeah, but there's some experience there, right? Stripling six years with the Dodgers. Um, 
Uh, Ray, six years, Diamondbacks, he's hit. He's pretty decent. I mean, uh, Ryu with the Dodgers. Okay, what's decent? Know? A buck 40? I, uh, <laughs> like Robbie Ray's hitting a, a, a career buck buck 47 or buck 46 with a home run and nine RBIs. Really? Like we already, you already yeah. got that. You already got Danny Jansen in your lineup doing that. You know, we want another guy doing it. I uh, look. There's there's no there's no benefit going to come from Robbie Ray or any one of these pitchers that have to go to these National League parks hitting. What, what, what can happen again? I just mentioned three reasons why that should never happen. And 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 oh by the way, pitching is better than it's ever been. You look at all the no hitters that are being thrown. Uh, you're telling me that a pitcher's going to go up and have a quality of bat? No, it, it just it's the the best thing you can hope for tonight with the Blue Jays because if they lose Robbie Ray and they lose Ryu for long periods of time, then you're talking about a whole different story, right? You hopefully they just go up, don't swing the bat, stand the back, very back of the the batter's box, watch three pitches and turn around and go back and figure out how to throw strike one. We uh, are inviting you to bark at Barker this morning. <laughs> Four one six eight seven zero zero five ninety. Let's go to London for Jim. Jim, what's up? Jim. Hey, how you doing? Good. Good, thanks. Um, the, I just saw. I think it was a couple of days ago. It was the anniversary of uh, Randy Johnson uh, killing that bird. Yeah. And I was wondering if Kevin could uh, tell me like the most weird or crazy thing he ever saw in the game. Uh, I, well, I've never seen anything weird like that. Uh, let's see. I mean that's that's a great question. Uh, uh, well, I have seen some bad things happen. I don't want to. I don't want to say it's weird. I don't want to say I've seen uh, birds getting hit by baseballs. I have seen. Uh, I have seen a, a, a goose once run into a fly ball in the outfield, but that was that was in winter ball. I did see that one time. I don't know if that's weird, but there was a ton of geese for whatever reason flying over the baseball field, and and one of the. One of the balls hit a goose. I, I have seen a, a, a bad thing, and I don't know if this if this is a good thing or not. I have seen a couple of people pick over at first base. First base missed the ball, and the ball hit the guy's teeth. Oh, and that was that was one of the that was one of the worst things I've ever seen on a baseball field. It, it was almost like you know, the trainer was going out, and and a couple of trainers, the trainer from the other side of the field, and your trainer was walking out trying to look for teeth. That was. That was one of the worst things I've ever seen. But it's it's you know the Randy Johnson thing and the bird and the timing of that whole thing. You know when he's going through his his motion and and when he releases the ball and that bird actually coming at the exact time at that exact point. That's why you love baseball. That's why you always want to tune into baseball. You never know what you might see. It's a great it's a great thing. Those feathers exploded off of that pitch that? too. Wow. And then there's the old thing going way back. Dave Winfield, remember the ex-Blue Jay won the World Series in 92 with the Jays as a 40-year-old, but he was a Yankee, of course, throughout the 80s. He got arrested after a situation at Exhibition Stadium in 1983 where he threw a ball up in the air at a seagull, hit the seagull, and killed the thing. Yeah, And he ended up in court the next time he had to visit Toronto. Like, that's... That yeah. was a strange one. Probably didn't one. do that again, did he? <laughs> no, he probably didn't do that again. No. Although back at Exhibition Stadium, there were a few to aim at if you wanted to. God, those things were uh, those yeah. things were absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Uh, Atlanta signed Tanner Rourke. So the cynical folks are <laughs> the cynical folks are texting now to five ninety five ninety. Does Rourke start for Atlanta on Thursday and no hit the Jays? There we go. Rourke's been getting his tits lit. You just love all these positive, positive texts. 
that are coming in this morning. Oh my God! Yeah, I don't know if you're gonna. I don't know if you're gonna see that. Look, I, I know what Alex is thinking. National League, bigger ballparks. You may catch lightning in a bottle. You never know. You can never have too many too much pitching. But look, the Blue, the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays, in my mind, did the right thing. Other people should be pitching for the Blue Jays than Tanner Roark. Yeah, I mean, you're yeah. trying to. Hey, you're trying to win. And and B, you want to get some of these these kids up here. If you were, so again, his okay. de- his debut, twelve strikeouts over six innings, two hits allowed, didn't walk anybody. Alec Manoa, Triple A. Mm-hmm. If you were to predict, and Ooh. I don't know if he'll be that dominant every start, Kevin. It's not fair to expect Manoa to be a Triple A. Yeah, but if he stays very good, what would your ETA? For Manoa B arriving with the Blue Jays, just for fun and giggles. Ross yeah. Stripling, Ross Stripling pitches tonight. Tonight, Alec Manoa pitches tonight. Guess whose start lines up a Ross next? Ross Stripling's next start. Alec Manoa's. There you go. So here's what I'm saying to you: If if Alec Manoa tonight against Rochester throws six innings, doesn't walk a batter, and strikes out ten guys, he's he's starting for me. His next start will be as a Toronto Blue Jay in the big leagues. That's just me. Love to see it happen, man. That's a, that's the ultimate fast track, though. We're talking about Nate Pearson and, and his sort of in-process development at the big league level. Alec Manoa, he yeah. has one AAA start, didn't have a season okay. last year, so he, he, he skipped double A. But he also okay, is then, a then, co- he's also a college kid who's 23, going on 24 here, here's, years old. Here's, here's, the one, here's the guy that I keep going back to is Mike Leake. Remember Mike Leake pinched for the Reds? He went to Arizona State. Yeah. He skipped the minor leagues. You don't know why he skipped the minor leagues? Because he could control multiple pitches. He could throw them where he wanted to throw them. That's why I said about Alec Manoa. Alec Manoa is doing it right now with velocity. If he, if he if he can the no walk thing is huge for him. If he could go again six innings with nobody with no walks, for me the next start he will make is at Toronto Blue Jays. He's a horse too, man. He is an intimidating guy. Six, Talk about six, the deer in the six, headlights. Seven. He is just the opposite of that. Right, right. The only the only Blue Jay I can think of to digress a little bit who skipped the minor leagues entirely was John Olerud. John Olerud didn't play a yeah. game in the minor leagues. Came up in 1989, fresh out of university, yeah. and uh, was a very, very good Blue Jay almost right away and for a long time. The, the only thing that Alec Manoa for me is trying to learn how to do is, is college, what do you do? You pitch every Friday. Okay, right right now he's he's trying to learn how to pitch every fifth day. That, that's the only thing you got to do. And, and what better person to learn that through than Pete Walker? See, we're supposed to be done now. Kev, but we're going to keep you for a couple extra minutes because somebody else wants to bark at you. Very nice. Let's go to Billy in Markham. Hello, Billy. Billy. Hey, how you doing, guys? We're good. Thanks good. for uh, holding on. Uh, a couple couple things I want to bark at, and maybe it's been said. I just I just got on the uh, – I didn't hear what was said earlier. But number one is Nate Pearson. I mean, guys, listen, I, I get it that uh, throwing hard is part of the game. But we've had four guys throw no hitters. And if Wade Miley throws harder than 70 miles an hour, uh, I'll, be, I'll be shocked, okay? <laughs> it's not about how hard you're throwing. And hearing, hearing what to Pearson said that some guy's going to throw 110, hey, yep. Nate, stop looking at the damn radar gun. Mm-hmm. Pitch. We need pitching badly. It's right there for you. I mean, come on, guy. Let's, let's get it together. We need you badly, Pearson. And, and stop, stop all, this, all this how hard you throw. I really don't care. 
just get it over the plate. And if you're going to get beat, let them put it over the wall. I don't want you walking four, five, six guys. You're not going to last. I don't care how hard. They'll wind up sticking you in a bullpen eventually. Number two, guys, and I touched on this last week, but I got to go back to it again. I didn't get into it enough, is George Springer. I mean, my God. First of all, I, I, I look at the, the signing, and why did he come to the Blue Jays in the first place? Here's a guy that's a prime a prime free agent, uh, and, and I figured he'd get a lot more money than what he got. Uh, not Lindor money or Tatis money, but I thought he would get more. And the saying goes here in Toronto that we've got to pay more to get you uh, to come here. So what were the other teams offering? You're going to tell me the Mets couldn't have went more for you? You're a Connecticut boy. You live near New, New, you live near New York. I mean, I, don't, I just don't get it. I think the league, I think all of baseball knew something about this guy. He should have gotten more money. And, and for God's sake, George, you don't get out there soon. I'm just going to tell a Blue Jay, just outright release this guy or try and trade him. This has, become, <laughs> this, has become a, this has become a joke with this guy. Seriously, it has. And finally, one last thing, guys, I promise. Uh-huh. And it's, it's off baseball, but uh, it's part of your show, and not your show, but the, the show's network. And I don't know if Scott Moore is still there running things, but I'll tell you this. I was watching Tim and, uh, Tim and Friends the other day, and I seen a, a longtime person I haven't seen back there in a long time. And, I, you know, uh, Kevin, I know, uh, I know your wife came back uh, over here, which I'd love to see. But Jackie Redman, is there a girl that talks sports better than she does? I mean, my God, I've seen her for the first time in a long time, and I just hope this network brings her back. Man. There you go. All right. Thank you, Billy and Markham. <laughs> okay, Give them, B- them Billy, a leash. Billy's wanting to release George Springer. Uh, he wants Nate Pearson to stop looking at the radar gun, and he wants Jackie Redman back at Sportsnet. My, I, I mean, I, I can't help him out with any three of those. I, the, the George Springer thing, look, it's not like he doesn't want to play it's one of those things where you want you want at eighty percent he's not going to give you what he want what he's ultimately able to give you. Uh, the Nate Pearson thing, I got to I got to be honest with you. I, I didn't one time see him turn around and look at the radar gun. That's not the issue anymore with him. I, I know his dad's telling him and, and everybody that's, that it, that he works with and all of these mechanical places that he goes to says he's going to be the first guy that can throw 106 miles an hour. Yeah, he he's got to get past that. Who cares? But it looks to me like he has. And now it's about a mechanical thing. Can he fix head jerk? The head jerk thing's a big deal. How you fix that? I have no idea. I, I think there's been a ton of people that talk about how fix how do you fix head jerk? I don't think it's an easy fix. I don't think it's just something you can go out and play long toss with your buddy, and all of a sudden you're fixed. It's one of those things where until he can ultimately finish all of his pitches, he's got to figure out a way to do head jerk and still be efficient enough to get deeper in a game. Well, and George, how Springer, can he do that? George Springer got 25 a year over six years at 31 years old. So, yeah, and the reason why he came to the Blue Jays is because the Blue Jays paid him more money than the Mets or wherever else. That's he right. And, he, and, he's chasing money and gave him the sixth year. There uh, you that's go. That's a huge, huge part of it. Uh, we'll do it again on Thursday, pal, and uh, look forward to it as always. Thanks for having me. You have bet. a good day, Kevin Barker. With Jeff Blair, Baseball Central, two o'clock this afternoon on Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Kevin brought to you by. Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. We've got Rick Nash, special assistant to the GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets, in about 10 minutes' time on John Tortorella, the future of that franchise and where they want to take this thing. They'll have a pretty high-up draft pick in the first round this coming summer. John Gibbons, former Blue Jays manager, coming up at 8.35. And we are back into the Leafs, who look as though
They'll be playing the Habs in the first round of the playoffs in just a moment. And here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff Sportsnet 590. The fan, the Leafs had a bunch of guys back on the ice in regular colored jerseys at practice yesterday. Nick Foligno, Zach Hyman, and Riley Nash. Freddie Anderson had a full practice. What's the direction the team takes over the next couple of games as they gear up for the playoffs in Ottawa tomorrow night on a special edition of Hockey Night in Canada and then closing the season in Winnipeg on Friday against the Jets, which still at this point could have an effect on who finishes third and fourth in the North Division. Uh, The Jets currently right now are third and they are one point up on Montreal with a game in hand that in part Uh, because the Habs lost in overtime last night. That point clinched the final playoff spot available in the North Division for Montreal. 4-3, they fall to the Oilers. Connor McDavid had the OT winner, capping off another multi-point night, goal and an assist. He's got multi-point games in 11 of his last 12. And the Jets lost 3-1 to the Canucks in Winnipeg. The Blue Jays were off last night. Uh, They got help at the top of the division. Boston fell to Baltimore. Toronto kicks off a three-game series under National League rules in Atlanta tonight. 7 o'clock, the broadcast begins here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, a game you can watch on Sportsnet. And the Raptors will host Kawhi, we believe, and the Clippers as they play out the string. Indiana's win in Cleveland last night formally eliminated the Raptors from play-in tournament contention. The horsey texts are still flying in Ziggy but I'm I'm holding off I'm holding off I feel like we've lost the momentum on that and and maybe just maybe that's a good thing uh but the Leafs of course uh, with Rick Nash on uh the program in about six minutes and we'll talk about John Tortorella the Leafs getting all of those bodies back at practice yesterday so you're starting to see this thing come together and I think the one thing you hope for and it's been hard in this shortened season whether it's been COVID or whether it's been injuries, it's almost as if no coach ever truly gets his full lineup dressed and healthy at the same time. It looks, knock on wood, that nothing happens over the final two regular season games. It looks as though Sheldon Keefe is going to have that opportunity when the playoffs start, possibly as early as one week from tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah, and any guy that's had an injury, right, you're... (laughs) However bad it was the last week or last two weeks of the season, or if you're someone like Felina or Hyman, you're going to play game one regardless. Uh, I know Bogosian's still up in the air. Unless it's a point where you physically can't stick handle a puck or put a stride together, you're you're suiting up for... Because you don't want to be behind, right? You don't want to be out of that lineup. The, the team gets on a run. You win a couple. In the playoffs, more than the regular season, when you're winning and with a certain lineup, you stick with the same guys. I know a lot of coaches do that during the regular season. You win a game, a guy comes in the lineup, you don't change anything up. But with the Leafs and the injuries, Foligno, um, you know, uh, Hyman, you you just you have to you have to make sure you're ready for game one. And the, the Leafs are not the Sheldon Keefe's not the only coach in the NHL right now that's dealing with this. How he's going to have a lineup that he hasn't had yet so we always talk about coaches how good are you well come playoffs you know look at look at the north division none of these teams are none of these four teams are going to have a team that they've had with winnipeg they've had injuries uh the habs have had injuries uh the oilers have been pretty good most of the season compared to the other three 
Uh, I think they've fared better. But with the Leafs, Sheldon Keefe's going to, he's going to have options for trying to put a lineup together. And, you know, we can, obviously we're going to sit here next week and, and debate what the line should be, who should be in, how much time do you give to Thornton? Does he play with Matthews and Marner? Do you keep playing Spezza 10 minutes a game, having him take the first draw on the penalty kills? He out there. I, I don't, you know, at this point, there's a, there's a lot of question marks with this roster. And it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting come game one. Goaltending situation. Does Sandine play on the back end? Does he start on the first power play unit that he practiced this week on the first unit again? I think he looks really comfortable there. Um, you know, there's there, there's a lot of things to discuss. I want I want Sand I want Sandine in. Yeah, he looks good. He I, looks I, comfortable in that first unit. I think it's I know a lot of times you're going to look and say, well, who cares about the top guy, the the point player on the, whoever's playing the point of the power play. It matters. It matters coming up the ice through the neutral zone entries. It matters on how you shift the power play box. I think that's the best part of his game. He's coughed some pucks up. He's given up some two on one, some partial breakaways. If he cleans it up a little bit, he's one, he's one of the best in the league quarterback in a power play and you you have you give him Matthews and Marner in the flanks. I mean, what else are you going to do with this power play? It's been so bad the last half of the year that I, I think you have to give it to him at this point. That is the weirdest thing that's happened to this team this season. Ziggy is just that power play was ripping along at almost 50% a month and a half into the season. Now you're sitting there understanding there's going to be, as they say in baseball, there's going to be some regression, right? The market is going to have to correct itself. But man, did it go the other way? And did it stay the other way the entire rest of the year? Part of that, too, is the frustration with the fact that this team just does not draw a lot of penalties. It doesn't give itself yeah. a lot of opportunities to work through its issues because it's so very rarely on the power play, which is weird because it's a fast team and a highly skilled team. You think there'd be a lot of sticks in the midsection and stuff trying to hold guys up? I think they'll feel. I think they'll 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 fare fare better if they don't get in a trading power plays game or playoff series. I think it's going to be better if they get into four or five power plays a game. I I, I don't know because you're going to need a big goal. The problem is, is that you keep other guys off the ice, right? I think this team rolling three lines once everyone's back. You mix in the fourth line. I, I just, I, I like the makeup of, of what they look like. This isn't just a bunch of skilled players and a couple of average players that kind of trickle in on the third and maybe a guy that can forecheck on the fourth line. There's a lot of, uh, I, there's a lot of competition for ice time on this team. When you get to that point, that's when your team gets good. That's when you have a playoff team. And this team is a lot different than it was a year ago. So if you're expecting the same old Leafs in the playoffs, you're in for a surprise as long as everyone's healthy and everyone's back. Rick Nash, the uh, special assistant to the general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets will join us in just a moment. Uh, John Givens coming up in about 20 minutes time, former Blue Jays manager doing a little special assisting down there in Atlanta. So we'll tee up the uh, Jays Atlanta series. We'll get Gibby's thoughts on velocity and all of that stuff. But man, Columbus is about to go through a significant change. And 
they got to get Patrick Line under a contract here long-term, Ziggy, if for no other reason, aside from the fact that when he's on, he's one of the best goal scorers in the game. You traded the third overall pick in the draft of what, five years ago, Pierre-Luc Dubois to get the second overall pick behind Austin Matthews a year later. Like, they got to get... He's, he's the significant return. He's who they're building this franchise around. And it's clear that they had to move on from John Tortorella probably to better facilitate that relationship because you couldn't have the line A thing go further south in the wake of the Dubois situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think... I wouldn't be surprised if they went off the board and didn't go to an established coach. And it's... it's it, they're in a transition now, right? You have a guy like Tortorella gone. Whenever you bring a coach like that in, you they really change your organization, organization, right? And how you play, how you conduct yourself. And you knock off the Leafs last year. The year before, you knock off the Lightning. If you look at the way the roster is constructed and who they have, you would say on paper they have no chance to beat either of those teams. And without a guy like Tortorella, I, I really don't believe it happens because when you have a a guy like a, a guy like a, a Tortorella is he go he gets the most out of your players, and a lot of times that that's that's very uncomfortable for the player. Another coach very similar is Peter Laviolette. I played for him in Carolina. He's won a cup there, 2006. This is a guy who, however good you are, he will force you outside of your comfort zone, and that's how you become better. And that's that's the same for for every team, every coach. You want you want to squeeze the most out of a guy, if not more, because a lot of times when you match up rosters, how many times do we look? at who wins the Stanley Cup, and when you see an upset in a series, how many times does a roster, you look, you match the rosters up, and you say, there's no chance that team should have won. Well, that's been the case in Columbus when John Tortorella was there because he gets the most out of his players. Yes, they play well as a team. They played hard last year against the Leafs, but I just, I see them going off the board a little bit with, with their coach and what happens with the... With Line, yeah, he, he, whether they win or not in this organization, they I, I think you have to keep him there long term, and it's it's going to be a challenge, right? I just I don't know where he's at, Line, and I don't know where Scotty you think he's going to go, but I, I I don't know at this point. You know, it's uh it's one of those situations with you know Columbus. It's you have a guy like Dubois who was really good for him a year ago and you move on from him and you bring line in. I just think that he's such a good goal scorer and so good offensively. He's a guy you can build around and, and obviously the draft this year is going to be big for them. Uh, here he is the uh, special assistant to the general manager, Yarmo Kekalainen of the uh, Columbus blue jackets, Rick Nash, a friend of the show is with us. Uh, Rick, we, uh, we appreciate your time this morning. And I think because of uh, what we've just been talking about here, we'll, we'll start with, with John Tortorella who has moved on after six years coaching uh, the franchise for which you work, what did John Tortorella mean to the Columbus Blue Jackets during his time there? Yeah, he meant everything to the Jackets. Um, you know, it's obviously tough to, to lose a guy like Torts. Uh, you know, he changed the culture here. I obviously left about uh, two years before he got here. And then, um, you know, when, when I played for him in New York, 
And then uh, once I came back here and took this job, he was he was here again. So our our paths kind of crossed a few times, and and you know you, it's tough to replace a guy like Torts and the uh, the work ethic that he brings and, and the way he can drag people into a fight, um, the way he can get his the best out of his players. It's uh, it's tough, but um, you know it's 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 time to look forward and uh, and try to figure out what the next move is. Yeah, and obviously outside of finding a new coach. Who who do you guys want to build around? I guess when so you have exit, you know, interviews here, and me and Scotty were talking earlier about you know you come in and kind of tell guys what you expect out of them. Who do you guys really want to build around right now? And and I guess in the draft, I'm sure you guys have an idea who you want to go after. Um, you know, trying to fill the holes that that you know maybe something you you, you see you didn't like this year from your organization. Yeah, obviously with the draft, we have uh, three first-round picks, um, you know, this upcoming draft, and uh, it's a good thing, but it's also a, a weird thing because there hasn't been much, uh, you know, junior hockey play, and a lot of it's been on video scouting, so it's going to be a bit of a, a different year. Um, as for building a team, you know, you go through your exit meetings and you, you try to uh, digest everything that happened and, and where the team stands, and, and you know, when you talk about building around – players you know you always kind of have that cornerstone guy or, or two or three guys and then um you know you bring in players from from other ends it seems like that's what all the, the championships teams do and they build internally um you know with times we got obviously two great goalies and corpus Allo and and there's leakins and um you know with with seth jones and zach Lorensky, i think uh those are those are two huge names and two huge parts of uh of our team obviously I think both those guys finally put themselves on the map in that Toronto series uh, in the bubble and, and Tampa the year before where they were unbelievable. And up front is where we, we have some, some work to do. Obviously, we have a, a pure goal scorer in, uh, in line A. And, and um, you know, we, we know what kind of world-class player uh, he can be. So it's it's a matter of, um, you know, getting, getting everyone to buy in and believe in what we're doing here. And then I think the biggest thing, and, and I'm sure you guys can – can believe this, but it's to build uh, build internally too. With Rick Nash on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. So you've been on both sides of it, Rick, as a player and, and now as a front office executive. Take us to the extent that you can behind the curtain of an exit meeting. And I know it would be different for each player. Are these meetings typically pleasant? Do they ever occasionally get unpleasant? What are some of the things that get discussed? Yeah, I think um, I know for me when I always went in my uh, in my exit meetings, you always wanted or any meeting for that matter, you always wanted um, honesty, and you you wanted the coach or the GM to be up front, and you know I always like to know where where I stood with the organization and what the organization's plan was. I think as a player, I think it's fair to uh, to know that side of. Um, uh, of the team. So, you know, for, for the most part, it's just kind of a, re- a review of how your season was. Um, you know, most of the time it's, it's what, what you have to do to take your game to the next level. Um, you know, I, I can't remember one time a coach not telling me that this is the biggest summer of your career. So, <laughs> um, so that's, that message is obviously put out there every time, but um, you know what? It's fun to, it's fun to be on the other side and, 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 see how it is and kind of give my input and, and, and feedback to the players. 
Yeah, and do any of the younger players ever reach out to you outside of those meetings, like, or for advice during the season? Because I, I, I feel like I, if I had someone that had the career you had in, you know, in the NHL internationally, I would, I, it would be it's such a, you know, opportunity for these young players and prospects to have a guy in the organization like yourself. Have you had any of those conversations or away from the rink where you kind of pull a guy over, you go down to practice? I know it's a little bit tough with the pandemic right now and being around the guys. I'm sure there's a lot of restrictions, but uh, what are those conversations you do have with those prospects or first rounders or guys that are, you know, trying to establish themselves as an NHLer? Yeah, you know what? It's it's a it's a great question and a great uh, topic that you you bring up because it's it's something that I've really taken a liking to is kind of that development side and that uh you know mentor side and, and trying to help these guys and and you know my first year I was just kind of hanging around and figuring out where I wanted to go in that direction and then uh last year I started to go see some of our draft picks with Foodie and Angle uh playing in the OHL um I'd go down to Cleveland and and see our guys there and and you know just kind of be around for them to pick mm-hmm. my brain or for me to try to help them but this year has obviously kind of put a halt to it um especially with having that modified bubble and, you know, not having outsiders in. So it was, uh, it was different, but I'm hoping that things will go back to normal. And, and you're right. I, I feel like I have some knowledge that I could pour onto these guys. And it's a part of the job that I, that I like to see them uh, develop and then hopefully, hopefully have success. What's a thing or two, Rick, that you've learned working in the front office under Yarmo Kekalainen that you may have been oblivious to as a player? Because you're so focused on your job when you're playing, you're 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 probably not stepping into the shoes of a front office type very often. What have you learned on the gig or during the gig that you didn't know previously or or were quite surprised to learn? Yeah, so the two biggest eye openers for me was was one how how hard these guys work, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about the GM and assistant GM and president. I mean these scouts that are traveling around to three or four or sometimes five games a week and you know, traveling to smaller towns where, you know, they're three, four hours away from the airport, um, leaving their families, you know, guys with young kids, whatever it is, when you're on the ice, you're just so focused on, on yourself and your game and your team. And you don't realize what goes into building this, these organizations and scouts are, are you know, sometimes one of the, uh, the, the biggest parts of it for your, uh, for your organization growth. And it's, uh, it was so impressive to see how hard these guys work and how much time they put in and how much they love the organization and, you know, don't, re- don't really get to reap, uh, you know, the benefits of 18,000 people cheering for you, but they're a huge part of it. The second thing I would, uh, I would have to say is, is how much of a process it takes and how long it takes to, uh, you know, trying to sign a guy, whether you're, you're trying to make a trade. Um, as a player, it was always like, all right, well, let's get some help. Let's trade for this. Let's, uh, you know, let, let's try to go in a different direction. Do this. Let's sign this guy, and and you really have an appreciation for it once you're uh, behind the scenes and seeing how the process takes of uh, of these things to happen. Riley Nash's last game was April fourth, a game against Florida with you guys, and he hasn't played for the Leafs yet. What are we expecting out of out of Nash? You know, coming. You know. Is he fourth line? Can he play some third line minutes? Penalty killer? What uh, What do you see at him? What can we expect? Yeah, so I, you know, obviously 
I've watched Riley play for the last few years and then got to play with him for a few months in Boston when I got traded there. So I know him well. And, and you know, a, a big thing that, that sometimes fans or, or people don't hear about, but how good of a guy he is in the room. And, uh, you know, as, as we all played and we all know how important that is, that's a huge factor that he brings. Um, on the ice, you know, he's, he's a good face-off guy. He's a good penalty killer. I remember playing against him when he was in Carolina, and he's just always in the way. He's, he's responsible in his own zone. He's got a good shot. He can chip in offensively, but um, I would say he's a reliable center that's uh, that's good in the faceoff dot, good in his own end, and good on the PK. Rick, we appreciate your time this morning, and we knew that you fit us in uh, in between exit interviews. So it's good of you to do that. We always love your insight, and uh, you know we'll be calling on you again soon. Thank you. Well, it's always fun to talk to you guys. I appreciate you guys, and uh, take care. There he is, Rick Nash, former first overall pick of the Blue Jackets in 2002, now a special assistant to uh, Yarmo Kekalainen, the Blue Jackets GM. Little Riley Nash, little Nick Foligno. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, he starts talking about <laughs> his exit <laughs> interviews. I, I can remember going in one year for my exit interview, and... A lot of guys don't, uh, I know what you think and a lot of, what you hear about different players and different teams and pro athletes. A lot of guys don't party. A lot of guys don't drink, especially today. Back 15, 20 years ago, did it happen more often? Yeah, but if you didn't go out during the season, you went out after the season ended. I can remember one time going in for exit interviews. It's usually you pl- you're in your season ends, you have that next day off, and then you go in after. So usually it's a two-day kind of party after the season with all the guys. I can remember going in, not feeling my best. And it was like 11 a.m. And Rod Brendamore was full workout gear (laughs) in the gym. And five of the young guys were like 21 years old, 22. He was working out and half of the guys couldn't even barely walk. Like, they weren't allowed to drive to the rink. They had to take taxis. That's how bad it was at 11 a.m. So I can remember that was one of the funny, you know, stories I have from playing the guy that Rod Brendamore. And then I had another one. I <laughs> I was in Phoenix. Jeremy Roenick chartered a plane and we went to Vegas when the season ended. And I was actually late for my exit meeting with Wayne Gretzky. So it was like, I got Jeremy Roenick wanting to hang out after the season, and I got Wayne waiting for me in Phoenix to go to go and, and meet with him. And he, I remember him calling me and, like, not yelling at me, but, like, where are you? Like, I'm waiting to leave for lunch because it was I was the last guy before his lunch break. And I'm just, like, I didn't want to tell him. I was, like, I was at the airport just getting off a private plane with Jeremy Roenick. Yeah, I got a I was splitting like, oh, headache. Yeah, I'll be right yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> I got a splitting headache, so don't. Don't crap on me too badly. Yeah. Oh, God. Good stuff. Well, those are pretty good names to drop. Jeremy Roenick on one side, Wayne Gretzky on the other. Something to chew on for great Canadian meat. A little bit of homework from Marco and Vaughn on the text line to 590-590. Assuming everyone is back, would you guys be willing to name the Maple Leafs starting lineup for game one of the Mm. playoffs? So that, Mm. we've got two pieces of homework for tomorrow. Okay. Maple Leafs starting lineup for game one, assuming health. Of course, we can't know if something's going to happen in Ottawa or Winnipeg, so we'll knock on wood and assume that it won't. There's that, plus there's the things you're scared of, Winnipeg and Montreal, and I know you've listed <laughs> those out, and you're, I don't know, you. 
I think you kind of got a Montreal foam finger hiding behind one of those plants in your in your house. <laughs> you had a foam yeah, finger. No, I I'm just I I understand what the I understand the game plan Montreal has for Toronto. It can work, but they're going to have to score more than a goal or two. Like it's not going to happen where it's a one one nothing game. The fact is, I'm not sure they can play that physical style, rugged game no space in the neutral zone, and then generate any chances. That's what they struggle with, right? And it's can they execute that game plan to make this a series? That's pretty much what it comes down to. Coming up on the other side, yeah. the former manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, Jan Gibbons, on the Jays Atlanta series, which kicks off tonight, and the relentless pursuit of velocity. What does Gibby think of pitchers today? want to throw as much as 110. There you go. This is probably by his own personal request. Little Rick Astley for our next guest. Former Blue Jays manager John Gibbons is on the line. Did you put in the uh, Rick Astley request or what? Who's that? The guy singing that song? (laughs) Gibby, come on. You don't tell me you know who Rick Astley is. And yes, the guy singing that song. No, I've heard a song, but you, what do you think? I, when that song comes on, I turn it. Oh. I turn, I turn my channel. I don't you know. know. When it was, that was disc, is that disco? I <laughs> it's 80s. It's 80s it's is what it is. Young, you're too young for disco, I think. Aren't you too young? I'm too young. I, you I was born right at the end of the disco era, yeah, so so way too young. I wasn't, I wasn't on the dance floor at four months old. I missed, I missed that whole scene. You must have been. You must have. You must have been in the clubs at that point, Gib. Come on, be honest. Oh, I, I will tell you, I do like some disco music, man. It's great beats. I, I can't dance. Uh, I, I do like some of the music. I'm well versed. I couldn't tell you who that's saying that song. It's a good song you're playing. I couldn't tell. You. Probably, I'm not going to go out and buy it, but you know, I, I, I do enjoy it. All right. Well, if you're looking it up on Spotify, it's uh, it's Rick Astley. Um, it's always good to hear your voice. And one of the things that that's come up over the last couple of days, Gibby is, um, in the wake of, uh, Stephen Brunt's story on the Blue Jays pregame show on Sportsnet on Sunday, it was really well done piece talking about young pitchers and their pursuit of increased velocity and specifically Nate Pearson, who can already hit a hundred plus with his fastball but potentially trying to get it to 105, 106. And there are doctors and scientists who say that 110 miles per hour is probably the cap, the fastest a human would ever be able to throw a baseball. My question for you is, as a guy who's been in the game forever, like if you throw 100 or 101 with movement or you throw 97 and 98 consistently with movement and you top out at 100 and 101, why do you need why do you need to push for another four or five miles per hour? When is enough enough? 
I have no idea, you know, but everybody's always been fascinated with the radar gun, you know. It's, it's always been that way, but, I mean, they throw harder now. The bigger and stronger, they throw harder. But, you know, the arm's not supposed to take that. I guarantee you, arm's got, an arm's got to blow if it's throwing that hard sooner or later, right? And, I mean, guys like Nolan Ryan are the exception. I don't know what kind of – I don't know if he ever had many injuries. Nothing serious, obviously, but – you know, it it just it's not meant to take that. And I guess my, my frustration with all that, you know, they get they get so caught up in that. Yeah, it might help you here or there, but you know what? A big part of pitching is being able to command the baseball. So you know, you see you'll see a lot of guys that come and go that are really really hard. They don't know where it's going. And what, I mean, it looks good, but you know what? They're not as effective because they don't know where it's going. So you maybe back off a little bit and you pitch. And and also too, I think what what's hurt the game now. Uh, you know, these guys are one any guys. You know, most most guys. But it's kind of like the, the way the game's gone. They look for the hard throws that can strike guys out. They look for the the hitters that can hit home runs, and they don't care if they strike out or they're going to walk. So it's kind of it's, – it's not the skill game that it used to be where, there's, where the, you know, you like some of the finesse pitcher. get out there and can pitch a little bit. And if he needs a little extra with two strikes, he can, he can reach down in those reserves and find it. You know, now it's just max, 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 max. Boom! Blow out next. Get the next guy or whatever. You know. Yeah. I I'm as frustrated as anybody about that. I did not see Steven's article. I'm sure it was a good one. Uh, but is there that much difference? You know, if you, if you locate a 98 or a 100 mile an hour fastball opposed to 105 or 108 that's going everywhere, you're probably going to be that much better off anyway. Somewhat locate. It's tough to locate when you're throwing that hard anyway, right? Yep. You know. Yeah. So, but. Anyway. What's the conversation after you have a top prospect like Nate Pearson comes in first game of the season and and struggles? What do you, do you pull a player prospect like that in and have and have a sit down with them, or do you just not try to add to all the pressure he has? Right, this is a guy that's getting over an injury. He's supposed to come in and and be the number two behind Ryu. Have you had a situation like that in the past? And what would you do if you had a Nate Pearson right now? Well, you know what happened. I mean, you got to give him a, you got to give these guys a few outings. You know, I mean, I, I think if he jumped the gun and you know a guy has a tough outing, his first one or first couple out there, you know, that's kind of that's panicking. You know, because you know, the game's not that easy anyway. You know, you're gonna even when you're even the top dogs, you know, have a have a stinker every now and then. You know, but if it's like he goes out there two or three times and he's it's, it's struggling, usually what happens. In those young kids, they're, they're pressing, you know, they're trying to live up to who they are and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to make it in the game and, and uh, you know, the big part of, and the toughest part of pitching the big leagues or playing the big leagues is establishing yourself. You know, so many guys come, you know, get, come to the big leagues, but how many stay for any length of time, you know, so that that's the, that's the big thing, you know, getting there. Okay. I'm a part of a team now. I'm productive for my team. And so there's that, they put a little extra on themselves and, and naturally, guys that are known for their big, big arms, they want they they're going to show it up. They're going to show it. And they want they're going to they're going to show everybody what they're talking about. So, uh, but yeah, I think I think anytime you you if the manager, coaches, front office, whatever jumps a gun too soon on a guy and um, sits him down after a couple bad outings, it's almost like the player I think would sense, hey, you know, he's really maybe something is wrong. You know, I got the top dogs talking to me about stuff and and you know what it's it there's some growing pains i don't care what kind of arm you got or what kind of talent you are that's vladdy jr 
you know, the big leagues is tough. It takes it takes a little time. And when these young guys, you bring them up there, you know, you got to let them, you got to let them sink or swim, and fail a little bit. Just keep throwing them out there. You know, keep throwing them out there every fifth day, whatever it is. And uh, you know, everybody believes he's good enough. And and it'd be, you know, I've never seen him in person, so I couldn't tell you a pitch. But I guarantee he's good. Uh, and so just you know, but there's gonna be some tough stuff. I throw him out to keep go go get him, kid. And you know what? Six months from now. Going into next year, you know what? If he stays healthy, he'll be that much better off. With John Gibbons, uh, former Blue Jays manager on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Did you like going into National League parks and managing the National League style? Yeah, you know what, uh, Scotty, I didn't mind. You know, it was, it, was, it was a little different change of pace. You know, I, I came up a Met, you know, and, and so I always do the National League game. And, um, you know, of course, spent, spent like most of the time in the big leagues with the Blue Jays American League, but yeah, I kind of, I kind of liked it a little bit. I, I, you know what I get, you get after, you know, changes things up, but I, you do it too much. You know, I don't like the pitcher necessarily hitting, you know, cause you know, us in the uh, American League, we really didn't gear him for that, you know, and, you know, it didn't work on button much, you know, it's kind of crash course three weeks before you start interleague play back then. So, uh, but yeah, I think it's something, I think it's kind of nice to go to, you know, the fans don't get to see many American League teams. Now they do. But you know what? Hey, you know, you kind of kind of a new look. With John Gibbons. You know, Gibb- it is, you know oh. it's different. Hey, real quick, though. It's got to, you know, because uh, you know, I've been asked a question before, you know, is it tougher managing in the National League or American League? You know, you hear different things, you know, that, you know, that you get with the DH, all you got to do is worry about the pitching when you're going to you know, make the pitching change. But a lot of times that can be the toughest part, you know. In the National League, sometimes it dictates it to you. you got no choice. you got to take that pitcher out and make a change because of the score. And, you know, the guy's coming to the plate. You know, the pitcher's going to hit. And so it kind of lays it out. So it's it's maybe there's a little bit more thinking or a little more, more strategy as far as your lineup goes. But I don't think it's any easier because, you know, in the American League, you're waiting for that right spot. Don't wait too long now before the game gets out of hand. So I don't know. It was always funny, Gibby, I laugh, because you used to hold your media sessions in your office, and we'd all gather around, and some people would sit on the couches, and there were more people than there were seats in the room, so we'd we'd stand around or in front of you or off to the side, and I always tried to get that, that spot kind of right behind you, because you always... No, you, you always try- you, you always, always try to get my seat. You always want you want to manage the club. You always try to get my seat. Yeah, damn right I did. Well, especially with all the issues I had with the guy currently oh, managing and all the No, but you, you want to know you want to know why I wanted to look over your shoulder because you always left the bullpen availability sheet open for all to see on the desk. You remember the green highlighted the guy was good to go that day, yellow, okay. It'd be ideal if we didn't use him, but he's there if we need him. And yeah, red was yeah, red was he's a no go today. So I'd always try to peer at that and 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 see what you had. And it it leads to the question about managing a bullpen, especially in this day and age, where these guys are getting used a lot. Starting pitchers a aren't throwing as much as they used to, but they're also coming off a really shortened season. And, you know, there's been attrition. The Blue Jays are not the only team going through it. I mean, even the L.A. Dodgers, who had guys like Tony Gonsolin and David Price on the outside looking in at their starting rotation at the start of the year, they were so deep, apparently, with starting pitching. Everybody is struggling with attrition, with injuries and, and whatnot. What were... Yeah, 
Well, I was just going to say, what were the biggest challenges of managing a bullpen and ensuring that you kept guys fresh? Well, you know, it, it, uh, it's, kind of, it's like a puzzle, you know. It, uh, obviously, let's not kid ourselves. The good teams have good bullpens, right? you got, you got multiple guys you can go to. You know, the lesser teams might have one or two, and then it gets lean. That's why, you know, a lot of times that's why they're not quite as good. You know, that's just, that's just a fact. Now, and, you know, yeah, but, but you still have to be able to run a pitching staff. I mean, there's, there's no question about that. Or, uh, you know, you, your team can overcome a lot of the manager's mistakes when, when they're really, really good. But, you know, over the long haul, you know, you, you got you to have an idea what you're doing. And one of the big things is, is trying to keep them healthy. And I was just trying to juggle. I just, you know, I, I, it wasn't like it was a, I said, um, uh, how would, I, how would I say this? You know, I, I, it just kind of worked in my mind. You know, uh, it, was, it was kind of like a rotation thing. And we had enough good ones, and I, that I would, and I could make sure that they they stayed fresh. Uh, in, in the, but with the way the game is now, you know, with, with starters going going X amount of innings, even if they're good, yeah, those guys are getting used a lot. You know, and you know, they they're gonna. There's going to be a big burnout on that, and that, you know that, that's why it's, what I said earlier about pitchers only being able to go one inning makes it so difficult. You know, if you had, if you had two or three guys that you could you stretch out more than more than that, you know, you cover yourself a little bit. There's very few guys like that, and and, and nowadays they protect themselves too. Don't kid yourself. You know, they, they you know they see they see guys getting hurt, so you know what they they uh they're, they're not going to let you push their, push their ass too far when you're not going to do it to the next to Joe stud over here you know you know what i mean so um but i think it's just a balancing act and you and you gotta you know you gotta care about your guys you know you gotta you got you gotta want to see them have long careers you know this can't be just you know a war of attrition you know you know i'm 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 the manager i'm gonna win at all costs blah 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 the hell with these guys and, and just burn burn through them night after night you know for for that big win or something yeah there's nights you have to do it there's times you have to do it depending on when the season is but you know, you you got you know you got to have a conscience for these guys and and understand what they what they did. I can I can remember that we had a try to guy was it it was I think it might have been was it Wagner years ago Neil uh, Neil Wagner. I yeah, I think it was Neil. Yeah. Neil, it was it was it was the hardest thing I ever dealt with. Right, we were we got blown out late and our bullpen was we'd gone through it pretty good. And we and we had a couple guys that could not pitch right and then. So Neil had to suck it up out there, and, and it went. I mean, it was. I mean, it got ugly, right? And uh, there really wasn't any position players. I think at that time we had taken a couple guys out of the lineup, and there were certain guys you weren't going to put, you know, your top player in there to pitch, right? You know, we've seen what happened with Conseco and some of those guys get blow out or, or what have you. But then, uh, you know, I, I think Pete Walker at the, at the time told Pete. I said, go out there, just tell him, just, just flip it in there, man. Just, you know, maybe, maybe they'll hit it at somebody. But he just kept Max throwing as hard as he could, hard as he could. So, you know, it was this one inning, so Peter already used up his, you know, visit to the mound. We used up one of those. And so he couldn't go out there and say, damn it, slow down. So, you know, I'm sitting there signaling to the catcher, you know, like, you know, you, with your hand, like that little, like, hump, you know, so like throw a little rainbow or something. Just throw, you know, so you don't hurt yourself. Sure enough. You know, after the next day he comes in, comes in sore, and uh, it, it bothered the hell out of me. I think we went down to Texas, and and uh, you know he kept he kept telling us, I kept telling, him, listen, if you're injured, you need to go on the DL because we were gonna have to make a we we're gonna have to make a uh, pitching change anyway. So he was gonna be the odd man out, you know that guy. 
certain years, that there's a certain guy. I'm thinking, you know, for crying out loud, for the, for the sake of this kid, let's at least throw, go on the DL, man. I kept telling him, that, go on the DL. You know, you save here, save here, you don't go back down the minor leagues. You know, and we owe you that. But he kept, you know, he was he was too proud, and then he, then he uh, uh, you know, eventually he gets sent down, and then then after he's down a few days, he he starts talking about complaining about his arm going. Come on, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. So now he's back in the minor leagues, and I, I think he, at the time he might have been, he was even going to file a suit against the team or something. You know, they get those grievances. I'm thinking, I well, this is what I was telling you, kid. You know. But he, but he was, he was proud. A lot of that. He was kind of a, he was a throwback that you know what, my team needs me. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm not going to complain because there's a lot of guys out there they'll they'll complain knowing that they're the odd man out. Certain guys know after a, in an early blowout, you know what, they're gone after the game. So it's like, uh. so anyway, I don't remember. I, you know, I don't know if Neil, if he might have bounced back with somebody else, but it, it was it was sad. You know, and it bothered me because you know I was managing the team, and uh, but. To answer your question, you, it, these guys, you want them to pitch a long time. Obviously, they're not going to. That's just the nature of the game as a bullpen guy. But, uh, you know, the good managers protect their guys because – and, and you know what? The, you want these guys to go, go to war for you. You know, it, as, long as, they, as long as they know you got their best interests at heart. And, you know, if, if they sense and they know that, you know what, you, you're just going to run through them, it doesn't matter to you. You know what? Then – you know they're not always going to give it give you everything they got. Yeah, we'll leave it there because uh, we're right up against the clock. It's always good to hear your voice, uh, Neil Wagner. Man, that's yeah, an old name been, from man? the past. Well, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll took so long to call me. Yeah, I'll I'll start bugging you again, start annoying you again, and uh, we'll get you back uh, on again soon. It's always good to hear your voice. Hey, I miss you guys up there. Be good. You bet, John Gibbons, former Blue Jays manager. So the homework tomorrow. Leaf starting lineup for game one of the playoffs and the things that scare us about Winnipeg and Montreal. Good shows next. Enjoy your Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> the hits keep coming.